live from the bell tower, taking a stand for your rights, your liberties, and all the bullshit in between. You're listening to Break the Bell Podcast. Good Monday evening. It is that time of the week again. Welcome once again to the live edition of the Break the Bell Podcast. Hello, beautiful bell breakers from the bell tower. From somewhere. Yeah. It's a mystery. It's a mystery it? where we are. Are we yes, keeping that a secret now? It is a secret because uh, we don't want infiltrators to come oh, overrun okay. our uh, our location here. So I figured we were prepared for that. Uh, we're we're getting there. We're on we're on our way. But yeah, okay. can you really be too prepared though for no, for the, no the infiltrators? How's everybody doing out there? It is. It's another fun week. Uh, we still got Russia yeah. going on. Yeah, yeah. And it just seems like it's going to be kind of a. a a regular thing. It's an ongoing thing. CD McRae says, hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. Love it. Hey, CD, did you pick up the y'all once you moved to your current location, or did you did you already have that in your formula? I'm not going to say I'm not gonna say where you're from, but I know where you're from. <laughs> but uh, does the y'all come from the new location or the old location? And CD says it's not a secret. I guess it's not a secret. Oh, okay. So. All right. We've been outed. <laughs> Once again, like I said, we're going to be talking a little about the Russia-Ukraine conflict. I know this is like going on three weeks running, but yeah. but it's not like we keep talking about like this is week number yeah. three's There's update. There's been four on casualties on Highway 30. I, 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 I hope it's not that dry. It's like uh, Ukraine sustained 864 losses while Russia sustained 235 and six mig whatevers. Yeah, right. No, no, that's not that's not how we do no. it on this show. We always come at it from a different angle yeah. from what usually other people are approaching it from. Or if they are taking it there, we usually take it one step or two or eight yeah. steps further. Just, we always take it off the rails. We gotta go into complete crazy town most of the time because that's that's what we like to do on exactly. this show is go to crazy town. So uh we are gonna <laughs> I, I titled this one Global Implications. I meant Global Implications, but I accidentally titled it Implication. And it reminded okay. me of, did you ever watch, uh, oh shit, what's the, Talladega Nights? Yeah. Where he's like, do you understand the implications of your action? And he's like, uh, what's an implication? <laughs> Every time I hear that word, I, I, I think of that quote. So, um, so that, that's our theme for, for today, is Global Implications of this Russia-Ukraine War. Because... I don't think at least our direct like controllers like the Biden administration or yeah. Congress, I, I don't think they've really thought too far ahead on the global implications of this no. war. Because do they ever? I mean Biden got up during his State of the Union and basically said, Hey, we're we're gonna impose these strict sanctions on Russia and we're gonna minimize the effects yeah. it has here on the United States. It's like uh, are you really though? Right. Yeah. Have you, have you thought this through really on yeah. what what the U.S. implications will be? Right. Um. What the total globe? Like, just think of like the third world countries. The implications it's going to have yeah. on third world countries that that um uh, rely on Russia and Ukraine for certain commodities and stuff. And we're yeah. going to get into all that shit. Uh. Obviously, before we do, we got to mention our sponsors, our coffee. Love and sponsors are freedom love and sponsors. That is Run Your Mouth Coffee, the official coffee of the Break the Bell podcast and the official coffee of free speech because we, we love coffee it. and we love free speech. That's right. Uh, Run Your Mouth Coffee 
supports our right to talk about Russia and Ukraine for a third week running, and without uh, people getting upset, I mean, people can get upset they about can it. Get but, upset, but we're but, still going to do it. But we're still going to do it because Run Your Mouth Coffee said so. That's because right. they said we could do it. So you have them to thank for that. Uh, you can find Run Your Mouth Coffee and get delicious coffee. Delivered straight to your door. Man, I'm having brain farts tonight. Delivered straight to your door. Um, go to rymcoffee.com. Tell them we sent you by using that promo code. Once again, that is break the bell. It's all one word, no spaces. You'll get 10% off your purchase, plus free shipping, and that's awesome. It because is. they love you, and we love you, and we love them. So go to rymcoffee.com. That's all. Drink coffee. Get, get a hot cup of freedom. Yes. Did you ever get your coffee in the mail? I haven't yet. What the hell? I know. All right, well. Eventually you will, and we'll yes. drink it on this on this show. So, uh, I I don't know what else to talk about really in this pre pre show. Did anything happen with you today? I mean, I mean, I, usually we have some some daily banter, yes, or some weekly yes. banter. Well, I, there's yeah. no sports on right now, thanks to the Russia Ukraine conflict. Say, yes, right, because that's what's causing the MLB problems. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, uh, Russia did. Arrest that WNBA player. I saw that. Yeah, uh, on like drug charges or something. And uh, I knew the WNBA had to be good for something. Well, she coincidentally happens to be the first female like WNBA player that could dunk. So oh, that sucks. Attempting to bring some excitement to the WNBA and Russia's like, Russia's no, like we no, don't want, we don't want that shit. So, We're gonna keep it at status quo. <laughs> also, like uh, like the soccer, the World Cups being. Yeah, I saw that they sh- shifted a bunch. Did you see that the? Uh, the cat association of the world has decided that Russia can no longer show their cats in 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 the shows and the cat shows around the world. <laughs> That'll teach them. I know, right? That's some serious. Yeah, like I I, I bet you Vlad is a, a cat person. Oh, you know he. I is. imagine he's yes. a cat person. He, you know, they show him like riding a bear with no shirt. You know, he gets home and he's like, "Hey, lovey." Yeah, he's like stroking his yeah. cat like Doctor yeah. Evil or whatever. He's got whatever. like twelve cats running around. Yes, the house. he's he's definitely a cat person. He so is. maybe that'll teach him. Maybe be like, "Shit, call it off. <laughs> yeah, call it off." We so, got to I got to get fluffy into the cat show. So so, sorry, Nana, this isn't your year. <laughs> <laughs> that sucks. That sucks for his cat. We got to get into the show before yes. we completely derail. We we usually wait to derail once we're in, deep into the show. So so we got to get there. Before we do, make sure you check us out all over the social medias. For now, you can find us all over Facebook, Spot, uh, Spotify. Yeah, you can find yeah, us on Spotify. You can find us there. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, all the big ones. That you can think of. Yeah. Uh, usually our handle is at Break the Bell Pod. Otherwise, just look up Break the Bell Podcast and you'll find us. Uh, leave a comment, share it around, do whatever it is you need to do to, yep. to spread the love, spread and the love. And we joy. got a lovely pa- um, website now. We do have a website yes. at BreakTheBellPod.com. You can check that out. I haven't updated it in a couple weeks, but you can check that out. It's a nice combination of where you can find all our videos, all our audio links, and all our social media links all in one. So yeah. um, if you don't want to look at all those different spots or you can't remember that, just go to BreakTheBellPod.com and you'll find links to that stuff. And you'll be a happier person for it. So Absolutely. Uh, check that out. Share it all over the place so we can make this thing a bigger and better thing, which is ideally what we'd like to do. Absolutely. I mean, we want to spread information around, uh, expose some corruption, expose the Absolutely. bullshit. And the only way to do that is by continuing to increase this thing and making it bigger and better. So share, spread the love by sharing us all over the place, and we will love you for it. Absolutely. Are you ready to get in the show? Let's do it. 
We're going to get into this intro video, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the global implications of the Russia-Ukraine conflict that's going on right now. So we'll be right back. What did you say? You talking to me? What, what the heck are you talking about? What did you say? What did you say? What did you say? Are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? What are you saying? What did you say? Are you talking to me? Well, maybe he was talking to me. What did you say? Talk to me. What in heaven's name are you talking about? Talk to me, talk to me, talk to me, baby. Uh, the, uh, the, did you just say? What did you say? You listen to me. Are you talking to me? What the hell are you talking about? Who are you talking to? And just like that, we are back once again. Yes. Whether you like that or not, we are here, and we're back, and we are live, which is what we like to be. Yes, we like to be live. We like to be live, we like to be alive, and yes. we can only say that for so long, so we're going to... Keep saying it. Keep saying it as long as we can, I guess. Yes. So, I, I don't know if you've heard that this Russia-Ukraine thing is going on. Like, I, I, I've heard little, like, whispers of it. Yeah, yeah actually, so. it's been going on for 12 days now. Okay, 12, wow. 12 whole days, yeah. Wow. Almost two weeks. By the time this is released as an official episode, the Russia-Ukraine conflict will be at two full weeks of of battle, of siege, whatever. Whatever. Did you, we're did you think it. it would it would be stretched out this long? Or did I you did. Think it, I did knew you? it was going to be yeah. a long and ugly thing. It wasn't. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, if you look back on like Crimea and stuff, it only lasted a few days. Right. But, but this is like beyond just taking right. certain. Like they have set goals that they want to achieve. Yeah. Putin has set goals that he wants to achieve, and that includes NATO saying, hey, we're not going to allow Ukraine to be part of that. And I don't see you, uh, NATO backing down on that. No. I don't see them being like rolling over and be like, okay, you win. We promise we will not allow Ukraine. No, that, they're yeah. not going to do that. Therefore, I don't see Putin backing down until he's exhausted all his resources. I, I think what Putin really needs to do is start his own club. His own. <laughs> he needs to start his own club and says, "You you guys can't come yeah to our treehouse yeah but but you can't come close to our borders either yes. because that would be bad yeah so again we're not just gonna sit here and talk about the war and all the stuff yes. surrounding it everybody else that. is talking about that yeah everybody you you're getting slammed with that we're gonna talk about how this affects the rest of us how this affects everything else um. Just a, just a little bit of highlights of this week, though. Russia apparently is frustrated by the slow progress that they're making, yes. like the land progress. Yeah. So they're talking about possibly ramping up airstrikes there. Sure. And that's why Zelensky is pressuring the U.S. and NATO to impose a no-fly zone. Okay. But Biden's like, uh, if I do that, then I'm actively involved. Right. And, and then I'm part of that. the war, and we yeah. can't be actively involved. Well, and I told you, like, I, I had read this article as a historical article, and it talked about why it's so slow. Yeah. And the big thing is, like, historically, when um, Eastern European nations... 
like invade or are invaded, they try to save it for the spring. Or I'm sorry, they they want it in the winter. <laughs> the winter. They that want everything horrible. to well. They but they want the ground frozen. They want the rivers frozen because then they can they can cut cross country. Sure. When the thaw in the spring, like it is now, mm-hmm. it's it's thick mud and the, you keep getting stuck in the mud. Do and, they not have roads there? Well, they they've got one main one. Oh, and they, that's great. And that's why when you look at the video, you see this long Russian convoy. Talk about coming a super through. super bottleneck. I know, and that's it exactly. But that's that's I mean, strategically, that's perfect for Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised they're not taking advantage of it. Right. My my whole thought was. Um, if there are outside forces that were pushing this war to happen, uh, they knew it was going to impact uh, the the global oh, yeah. energy chain. Yeah. And so they're like, well, we don't want to do this in the winter because people are going to get really cold <laughs> and they're going to be really pissed at us for doing this. I, so, I'm sure there's a number of reasons. But let's push that into the spring. But then they're like, oh, shit, the mud and the yeah. bottleneck. Now this is going to take forever. <laughs> yeah, Can't so. you just do airstrikes? <laughs> so so a little more recap. Uh, Biden did impose sanctions. We know that. Um, some of those include uh, American credit card companies yes. stopped operating in the country. Mm-hmm. So like American Express, Visa, and MasterCard, the three big Would ones. Would they use American Express in Russia? I, apparently they do <laughs> really? because um, it... They're shifting their resources to other other countries Putin now. Doing a commercial, American Express. Don't <laughs> leave home without it. <laughs> he 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 doesn't go to war without it. That's exactly. more like it. Uh, some tech companies have suspended operations there. Apple, yes. Google, Microsoft, like all the phone, all the, all the phone and computers. That's Android. That's uh, PC. That's Mac computers. That's Apple phones. So that's pretty much all the American phone yeah. and computer companies that. The mainstream ones, any, anyways. Um, we've cut off dealing, cut off Russia's dealing in many of the world currency reserves. Sure. So they can't tap into certain currency reserves to like pay off their debt or finance oh, gotcha. their stuff. So, so that's having a, ma- a pretty big impact yeah. on them. And then, obviously, we get. Have the the speculation hasn't happened yet, but the speculation of an oil embargo, which okay. you got the EU, which is probably less right, yeah, apt to to go yeah. that route since they are being supported so much by uh, yeah. Russia's oil, and then the United States, it doesn't impact them as much, but still, it will impact. We still them. get some oil from them. Yeah, we do, yeah. but it, it's not going to hit us as hard. I, which as, I'm surprised Putin's just not been like, you know what, no oil for you. I'm cutting it. I'm cutting it <laughs> well, off. Well, well, actually, he, today or yesterday, he cut off a certain amount of natural gas, not oil, but natural gas okay. flowing into the EU, and he rerouted it somewhere else. And um, obviously, that causes panic. It's right. just like it's like, man, if you're threatening this guy, and it, again, not even saying he's on the right side of history or anything. And we talked about this with um, attacking certain right. countries. If you're threatening from one country. That's not Ukraine. If you're using that as base or whatever, right. it's their right to attack that country, yeah. too, because they're being attacked from that country. So if you're threatening their oil e- economy yeah. by saying, hey, we're going to have an oil embargo on you, he has just as much right to say, well, we're going to fucking shut off yeah. the gas to you. And right. Screw you. We'll shut yeah. that off now. We're not going to wait for you to decide to get yeah. comfortable with right. doing this. I'm going to shut it off now. And everybody's like, oh, shit, we're going to do it in three weeks from now. Not now. <laughs> we shit. didn't. We didn't mean now. Now yeah. we meant in a couple of weeks so we could yeah. get maybe cozy. we could talk about this for a couple of weeks. <laughs> so. So, yeah, that's happening, too. Um it's been a major blow to the Russian economy, obviously. Yes. Uh, the rubles went through the floor. Yes. The interest and rates are up 20%. People there are 
upset, obviously, the Russian people. We talked about this last week, how the Russian people were kind of um, getting uneasy, getting chaotic because of this. And um, we talked yesterday about how uh, the U.S. was kind of strategically doing things in order to uh, kind of put have the the people to pressure Putin to stop the war because our pressure is not working. So maybe if we upset the people enough, they'll put pressure on Putin and maybe ultimately overthrow him as well. Have you ever seen, um, I mean, in any war in the least, like, I don't know, 10 years, this kind of sanctions? No, this these are like unprecedented yeah. sanctions. Yeah, right, yeah. So I mean, in the words of Bernie Sanders, unprecedented is Yeah. So is it, this is like the the new like playbook in war like this is what they're going to do if they're not happy with you anymore? Well, yeah, I mean that that seems to be our go-to and I have a whole article talking about how that could potentially lead to problems for us if we oh, keep absolutely. using this as the go-to, these yeah. major economic sanctions. Um they this article Compares it, and I'm going to get into that more in the second half, but it compares it to like the overuse of antibiotics. The more you throw antibiotics at stuff, the less effective it's going to be, and diseases tend to learn workarounds right. to get around the antibiotics. Well, um, these countries that we're throwing these economic sanctions on, because we hold all the power with the almighty dollar being right. the number one currency in the world, we can make those kinds of plays. But what happens when those countries start seeing all this and they're just like, you know what? We're going to look for another yeah. way around this. Right. Be, maybe like switch currencies for and I mean that that I'm that's a big section I'm going to talk about in the second second half and that could really have huge implications here in the United States. Right. So, uh we'll we'll get there though. First thing I want to talk about is uh the White House being Jen Psaki and all her wisdom came out and said the White House says to prepare for a very long, difficult road ahead. And oh, I, I love it when they say that. I, I feel like that's quite the understatement. But right. um, let, let's hear what Jen Psaki has to say about all of this this week. This came out today, actually. It says the White House on Monday warned that the world needs to be prepared for a long, difficult road ahead as Russia continues to its invasion of Ukraine for a 12th day. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said the United States will continue to support Ukrainians as they fight back. I like how they put in quotes, fight back. Yeah. As they fight back. Fight back. But maintain that the U.S. troops will not fight in the country and stop short of vowing a ban on Russian oil imports. You notice that there. Key word. She vowed no U.S. troops, but she vowed no U.S. troops in that country. Right. She didn't say in any of the other countries that if— they were to attack other countries. She specifically vowed U.S. troops will not fight in the country. More than 400 civilians have died in Ukraine since Russia's invasion began, and another 800 have been injured. We said we weren't going to do that, so I'm going to move away from that. She goes on to say, this is barbaric. It's horrific to watch. You have 1.5 million, if not more, refugees crossing the border. You have mothers and children's dead on the children's children dead on the side of the road. This is heart-wrenching to watch. I think for us who are working in the public service, you watch in these moments, and there are limitations. She goes on to say, we are not going to send U.S. troops to fight in Ukraine against Russia. There it is again. She made very clear to point out, we're not going to send them to fight in Ukraine against Russia. Yeah. You think if she had no intention of sending U.S. troops, she would have said, we're not going to send U.S. troops to fight Russia. Right. But no, she... Reiterator, we're not going to send U.S. troops to fight in Ukraine against Russia. Right. The president is not going to do that. That is what you have to weigh as president of the United States. 
Goes on to say, Saki said, Biden administration is providing $1 billion of expedited security assistance, though, to Ukraine. So what does that mean? Does that just mean weapons, uh, security assistance? Does that mean we're sending in, like, private security in the name right. of— yeah. So we're not the actual military. Right. That would be my guess. How, how does that work? Yeah, well, it's a very gray area. Now you are not an army soldier. You are security services. Right. Uh, she says, "I think any world leader would tell you that without the president's leadership and without the United States rallying the world to hold Russia accountable, there would not be the kind of accountability and pressure on the financial system in Russia." So. Do you believe that? <laughs> they, I, I kind of do, because yeah. I do think like the whole EU is probably sitting back there. They're like, ah, do we really want to do this? I right. mean, do you know what that's going to do to our countries here right. with the energy here, with our financial systems, with our food system? What's that going to do to us? And so, yeah, I do think that they're probably just like like America stands up. It's like we're going to oppose these sanctions and being NATO allies. They're just like, like OK, we'll do that. I guess so. <laughs> She goes on to say, so we're doing everything that is in the interest of the United States, in the interest of our partners in NATO, and to put pressure on President Putin and to support the Ukrainians. She talks about um, there would not be accountable accountability and pressure on the financial system in Russia if it wasn't for us. So we, <laughs> you can thank us for all of that. So when the shit hits the fan due to all these financial right. pressures, guess who else we can thank? Do you think people are going to turn and thank? Putin? No. Or point the finger at Putin? Because she specifically said, hey, this is us, guys. This is yeah. all us. They're going to be like, what the fuck did you guys do? <laughs> I mean, look at Afghanistan. How right. many people pointed at us? Oh, and like, yeah. You guys screwed this up. Right. You guys majorly screwed that. Like, all the countries in Europe oh, are yeah. like, how how did you, you screw this yeah, up so right. royally bad? She goes on to say, we're very cognizant of this here, to be clear, that this is going to continue to be a very, very difficult period of time. Uh, the Ukrainians are fighting bravely. We're standing by them and supporting them. But Russia, you know, they are going to continue to fight, and they're going to continue to pursue what President Putin's ambition is. Um, scrolling on down, it talks about, like, the oil stuff that they're talking about here. Um, well, it talks about how the Biden administration ruled out setting up no-fly zones, which we talked about because that would put him directly in the fight. Right. On down, it says... Russian oil exports account for one-third because because he has not come out and said that we're going to ban or do an oil embargo, but he hasn't ruled that out yet. Right. So it says Russian oil export account for one-third of Europe's oil imports. However, for the United States, Russian exports are just under 10% of overall imports. But the call to boycott Russian oil imports are not only coming from Zelensky. Both Democrats and Republicans in Congress have also said it may be time to ban imports. Um, up here, I missed this. Russia is the third largest producer of oil, but the impact to U.S. oil imports would be minimal because okay. of that. They're only exporting 10 percent to the right. United States. So it'd be minimal this is what yeah. they're saying. But I feel like they're talking very short term here. Yes, well, the short yeah. term may be minimal. Right. But speaking of minimal, I mean, we're up shit, almost a dollar more a gallon in the right. last two weeks. Yeah. Just since they announced well, that this attack I mean, happened. It's gone up uh, 40 cents since the weekend. Yeah. So, so, I mean, it's up here in Iowa, four bucks a gallon. I don't know. I mean, that's expensive here in Iowa. Yeah. I know, like, California's probably sitting at five, six dollars yeah. a gallon. But right. but it's just to, to say minimal, what would they call maximal? Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, again, they're talking very short term here because— 
Like I said, they're the third largest producer in the world. Right. We are only taking 10%, but if the rest of the world gets cut off, what do all those other suppliers have to do? Right, exactly. They got to supplement they it. They have to supplement the other countries. Right, so exactly. that in turn makes le- creates less for us. They got to jack their prices yep. up. So Russia directly has minimal impact on us, but all the other suppliers that have to supplement that yep. have major yeah, major um impact on us and it's going to again send our prices through the roof because right. they're now the sole supplier of everything and right. that includes us. So she can say all she wants. Well, since it's only ten percent, it's gonna be it's gonna be right. super minimal for us, and we'll just open up our reserves, pump out a couple more barrels, you right. know. And I, actually, this would be a good time to switch over to like solar. Right. And yeah. Exactly. We, we, this is what we really need to focus I, on. I mean, electric this, cars. I, this is this has been ultimately the goal, so it really isn't hurting yeah. us that bad. Right. It's just pushing us toward that yeah. a little bit early. Right. So you know, it just it's nice transition. It's just interesting how short term mindset. Yeah. The U.S. government is. Oh, absolutely. Well, it's only it's only term to term. Yeah. I mean, that's all they really. Well, think yeah, about. because um, it's whether or not we're going to get reelected, yeah. or I mean, let let's not make something, let's not make something too bad between now and November because yeah. um, we got to have minimal impact in the next six months because we got elections coming up, right. guys. So we can't we we can't have it majorly yeah. affect. But after those, right? Then then, then, then we'll we talk. can crank it up and push towards electric <laughs> yes. cars again. So she talks about this long road, this long, long, difficult road. And again, um, she's not even talking about like the overall global implications, the overall overall global right. long, difficult road. She's specifically saying, hey, the Ukrainians have this long, right. long road ahead of them. What about the rest of us? What effects will the rest of the world feel in all of this? What effects will... Here in the United States, we we talked just briefly about, and we'll talk more. Yeah. What about, like I talked about in the intro, what about the third world developing countries? Right. A who, lot of them are directly affected by Ukraine. Who don't have their own like global trade, right. their own global export system, their own um, internal like food supply or oil supply. Yeah. They 100%, 90%, whatever of their resources come from foreign Global supply chains, right. when you fuck up those global supply chains, yeah, that, that hurts us here. Right. But we have our own resources right. that we can ramp up a little to yeah. kind of minimize that. But they have nothing. Those third world right. countries yeah. have literally Africa fucking nothing. Or, or Middle East that's you know in the middle of a major drought yeah, or can't grow any of the food, wheat, or whatever that they need. So let's keep talking about the—we're the, uh, going to get into the wheat and— all that shit. I the food we supply, majorly, we're going to talk about because that's a huge one that yeah. <laughs> not a lot of people are, especially not like the the government officials in the U.S. are really right. too concerned about is the global food supply and all of this. But first, uh, let's talk about the minimal effects that this has on the wor- rest of the world that Jen Psaki was referring to. Because the Associated Press has this article titled, Economic Dangers from Russia's Invasion will ripple across the globe. Does that sound pretty minimal to you? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a minimal. It's a it's yeah, a small you know, ripple. It, it's just planetary. I mean, have you seen a ripple? Ripples aren't that yeah, big. You know, They're pretty small. Right. <laughs> that sounds like a Jen Psaki explanation. Right. Well, well, yes, yes, the implicate uh, the the global impact will ripple across the globe, but but it's going to yeah. I mean, the ripples are so small. It's not like waves. 
It's right. not like tsunamis. We're just talking yeah, about just, little ripples. Just a little ripple. I, I prepared a demonstration. <laughs> <laughs> it says, uh, Moscow's war on Ukraine and the ferocious financial backlash it's unleashed are not only inflicting an economic cata- uh, cata- catastrophe on President Vladimir Putin's Russia. The re- repercussions are also menacing the global economy, shaking financial markets and making life more perilous for everyone from Uzbek migrant workers to European consumers to hungry Yemeni families. Sounds pretty minor to me. Right. Even before Putin's troops invaded Ukraine, the global economy was straining under a, a range of burdens. Uh Surging inflation, tangled supply chains, and tumbling stock prices. Yeah, what do you think this does to the supply chains and right. and the uh, inflation? Oh yeah, it's gonna it's gonna hurt even more. Yeah, because you're you're overtaxing it now. The Ukraine crisis both mag- magnified each threat and complicated the potential solutions. We are actually in uncharted territory, says uh, Clay Lowry, executive vice president at the Institute of International Finance, a trade group of global banks. We know there are consequences that we cannot predict. We, we've done a pretty good job predicting. Yeah, we've done a great job predicting <laughs> in the past. But back on to school but for we're in macroeconomics. Un- uncharted territory right now, so uh, we, we can't possibly predict what's going to come <laughs> out of this. It says, for now at least, the damage to the overall global economy appears to be relatively slight, if only because Russia and Ukraine are not economic powerhouses. Important as they are exporters of energy, precious metals, wheat, and other commodities, the two account for less than 2% of the world's GDP. So so short-term, it doesn't look like a huge impact. Right. Because they're only 2% of the GDP. Right. But then when you take all this other stuff to an account... Right. And again... It's, it's not about the GDP. It's about yeah. uh, what's coming out of there. Exactly. Especially when it comes to like third-world countries. Yeah. Right. Says most major economies have only limited trade exposure to Russia. For the U.S., it's uh, about a half a percent of total trade, and China is around two point four percent. Is all that's that's surprising to me. Wait, with with China? Or yeah, with Russia. China only tr- only two point four percent of their trade is with Russia. Yes. So the rest is probably with the United States. So. <laughs> right. But but Ukraine, I believe China is one of the bigger Pro- is one of the biggest trade partners of Ukraine. I think I it was fourteen percent, is what I saw. Really? Yeah. Uh, it leaves that out on here. So, so small GDP, small percentage of trade. However, Russia's vitally important supplier of oil, natural gas, and metals, and higher prices for those commodities are sure to inflict economic damage around the world. Europe relies on Russia for nearly forty percent of its natural gas and twenty-five percent of its oil. So, yes, small GDP. But large percentage of some of these commodities, right? So maybe they're not making a, bun- a boatload of money off it, but they're supplying a boatload of it. And when it's that, you're talking a quarter of Europe's oil, and forty percent of its natural gas, yeah, comes specifically from Russia. For the European continent, Russia's war has significantly heightened the likelihood of a runaway inflation, another economic setback, or both. Here's a deeper look. Um. Talks about the economic siege that they put on Russia. We're fine with that. We, we've covered that plenty. Yeah. Um, let's talk about. I want to. I want to scroll down to. So I don't think we need to really 
explain oil prices anymore. Right. We, yeah. We kind of talked about that. that we don't need to talk about supply chain issues because yeah. we've talked about that. Yeah. Chi- China is Ukraine's uh, number one trade partner at 14%. Oh, wow. Valuing $7.1 billion. Holy shit. So, so China is Ukraine's number one, but is Ukraine China's number one? Um, no, I doubt that. Okay, so it's not that important. Yeah. That they're saying those countries are not that important to China. Right. China's right. that important to those countries. Right. So let's scroll down to this section, a strain on food supplies, because this is where it's see to me, especially when it comes to third world countries. Because what do you think third world countries care most about? Is it oil? Is it supply chain? Food. Or is it food? <laughs> food. Ukraine and Russia account for 30% of exports of wheat. In the world. Yeah. 30% of the world's wheat exports. Almost a third of the world's wheat comes from Ukraine and Russia. So those two countries combined. 19% of the corn, which that's surprising to me. Me too. And 80% of sunflower oil, which is used in food processing. Much of the Russian and Ukrainian bounty goes to the poor, unstable countries like Yemen and Libya. So, so yes, uh, a large percentage of the world's food comes out of Russia, but... Most of that goes to the poor countries that the U.S. Yeah. probably doesn't give two shits about. Right, right. <laughs> or they would like to take over that region so that they say. can make yeah make a, a buck off of yeah. exploiting I mean, those But poor. these are areas that are, I mean, humanitarian crises as Constantly. is. Right. Yemen, Yemen is, like, getting bombed all the time. Libya? Yeah. Libya's Libya always... has, like, no government. It's like the Wild West out there. <laughs> yeah, because of meddling and yes, shit like that. Right, mostly. right, things that the United States have done. And done. because uh they rely on these powerhouses that like to exploit them mm-hmm. like the US and Russia. Says the threat to farms in eastern Ukraine and a cutoff of exports through the Black Sea ports could reduce food supplies just when prices are at their highest level since 2011 and some countries are suffering from food shortages currently. Um it goes on to say wheat, corn, oil, Barley, flour are extremely important to food security, especially in poorer parts of the globe. With ports, airports, and rail lines closed, young Ukrainian men fighting in Russia invasion, she asked, who's going to be doing the harvesting? Who'd be doing the transportation? Then it gets into rising prices, which also clearly would affect food prices as well as all other prices. And again, it's the same as with the oil. If they can't get the food from somebody, they're going to have to... Get it from someone else. They're going to supplement it from somewhere, or they're all going to just starve to death because that's what happens in these... I mean, these people in these developing countries are already starving. Yeah. I I mean, I'm going to get into some some stuff about that, but like 70% of their income is spent on food, which is not what we see here. We spend, what, maybe a tenth to a quarter on food, maybe? Right. So if prices go through the roof here... We get a little pissy about it. Yeah. Start yelling at employees or, or bitching about Biden and, and and shit like that. But when 70%, 70 to 80% of your income goes to food and prices shoot up 30%, yeah. that's the difference between barely surviving and starving to death. Yeah. Right there on the spot. So, well, and, and also, you know, Russia is one of the major fertilizer producers of the world. Yeah. And so they're they're cutting their fertilizer supplies. Yeah, so that also is going to increase yeah. food, so, food um, prices. Like Brazil gets 85% of its fertilizer from Russia. So you got food shortages being wheat, barley, 
sunflower oil, all that shit. On top of that, you've got fertilizer shortages, which Mm -hmm. is going to jack up food prices. On top of that, we got oil shortages, which is they fuel the the farm equipment, which also will raise food prices. So we see a common denominator here of food, and that is extremely important. And people overlook this so much of how food kind of drives the direction of the world. Like, right. the world is ran on food. Yet, you can say the world's ran on oil, but no, the world is ran on food. Yeah. And when it is scarce, people get a little stirred up and crazy when, when the food starts to go away. I, I've said here, like, imagine the shelves go empty for a day, right. a week, or whatever. I mean, people lose their fucking minds oh, overnight yeah. if they can't go get... um their Pop-Tarts or whatever here. Right. I mean, we wouldn't have a freaking clue what to do. Oh, yeah. Imagine over there where there's not, like, an abundance of extra food, excess right. food like we have here. Food goes short. They get pretty pissed off really yeah. damn fast. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because everybody's concerned about sending extra money to Ukraine. No one's thinking about these third-world countries that are going to need money for food. I'm sure somebody up there, some, like, Klaus Schwab type, is sitting up there on his high horse oh, yeah. thinking about like, how he's going to... But yeah. he's waiting for his moment. Yeah. He's and like, that moment's going to come. This, this is why we need the Great Reset. Yes. Uh, that moment's coming. And it, it's going to ultimately lead to that, yes. I think. I think that's where we're headed. And yeah. I got a, mu- a few more things to talk about before we talk more about Mr. Schwab. Um, this is from the Financial Times. And this talks specifically about food, so we can... Focus a little more on this. It says, food crisis, the food crisis looms as Ukrainian wheat shipments grind to a halt. And this actually came... No, this, this one was current. So this says, at this time of year, um, Keys Huizinga is normally busy planting wheat, barley, and corn. But having lost workers to the front line, the Dutch national has left his grain silos to sound the alarm about the impact of Russian invasion on global wheat supplies. Russia and Ukraine supply almost a third of the world's wheat imports or exports, and since Russia's assault on its neighbor, ports on the Black Sea have come to a virtual standstill. As a result, wheat prices have soared to record highs, overtaking levels seen during the food crisis of 2007-2008. So prices are higher than, than, yeah. than the 2008 shit that we went through. If farmers in Ukraine don't start planting anytime soon, there will be a huge crisis to food security. If Ukraine's food production falls in the coming season, the wheat price could double or triple, uh, said the Dutch national who has been farming for two decades. He is part of a farming union whose 1,100 members cover just 10% of the country's farmland. While well-stored wheat such as that on his farm can last several months, ag Agriculture experts and policymakers have warned of the impact of delayed shipments on the countries reliant on the region for wheat, grain, sunflower, oil, and barley. They're going to have to find different suppliers, and all that means is higher prices, said Joseph Glauber, the former chief economist at the U.S. Department of Agriculture and a senior fellow at Agricultural Policy Think Tank, IFPRI. Another think tank. There's another one for you. There's a lot of them. So here's the countries most dependent on specifically Russia's wheat exports. Okay. You got the country here. You've got uh, the total import value in millions of dollars. And this side, you've got the percentage of how much of their wheat comes from Russia. If you look at this top one's Qatar, 
Here's the ninety percent. Oh, I I gotta pull this up so you can actually see it. All right, here's here's the image that I was just That's describing. Better. That's better. You look at the top line here is Qatar. Like I said, these are percentages: 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. Look at where Qatar is on their imports coming from Russia. We oh. imports. That looks a awful damn lot like yeah. 100%. Uh, Kazakhstan is just slightly less than that. North Korea, surprisingly. That is surprising. Gets, it looks like, uh, probably 98% from Russia. Azerbaijan, who is always in conflict. Yes, the other breadbasket. $285 million, or uh, which is about 95%, it looks like. All the way down, you've got Georgia, Armenia. Turkey is roughly 70%. Egypt is roughly 65%. And then down from there. And then you've got the same thing with uh, Ukrainian wheat exports. And in there, you've got Lebanon, which is is about 90%. Laos is above that at about 100%. Uh, Qatar, Somalia, Libya, Tunisia, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Egypt. So Egypt um, gets, it looks like... They're getting slammed from both 25% sides. 25% from there. And what did I say, like 60%? Yeah. from. So you're talking about 85% between the two. So yeah, some of these <laughs> don't look as dependent on one or the other, but when you combine the two, right. you're looking at 85%, 90% yeah. for these countries. And a lot of these countries, not sure if you realize this, a lot of these countries... Are well known for their like political yeah. uprising. Their right. political there's like, a violent overthrow like every year. <laughs> it seems like it. It's like a season over there. <laughs> Ken Mc Ken Dongtron says, "Bet Bill Gates is rubbing his hands together over those wheat prices." Well, yeah. When yeah, he no joke. what does he own like the he's the been largest... buying up farmland like it's going out of style. Yeah. So when you get these elitists buying up farmland and you get mm-hmm. these elitists that have these. Um, over-encompassing globalist goals yeah. to feed the poor and stuff. They're looking at this they're like, oh, they're not going to be able to support their self, yep. so we're going to have to go save the world. Yeah. I, I did an episode at the beginning of the year called Bill Gates Saves the World, right. so this goes hand-in-hand hand with that. Go back and check out that episode. So that that's just a few things I wanted to say about this. It says, the last time wheat prices spiked to these levels in 2007-2008 was because of severe production declines in leading producing countries such as Australia and Russia. Protests spread through nearly 40 countries from Haiti to the Ivory Coast, while a jump in grain prices in 2009-2010 is regarded as one of the triggers of the Arab Spring uprisings in the Middle East. Uh, could we be seeing another Arab Spring yeah, that's what I'm thinking there. It says Russia accounts for two-thirds of Egypt's wheat imports. Egyptian authorities say their wheat inventories will last until mid-June, and the Egyptian local harvest doesn't start coming in till mid-April. Mm. Any rise in subsidy, bread prices, and further increase in food inflation increases the threat of social unrest. And that's where I think things could be yeah. taking a major turn, as this threat of social unrest... They mentioned the Arab Spring there. What was the Arab Spring? A whole lot of social unrest. Yes. And a lot of the civil wars we're living with in, like, the Middle East and shit, in, like, Syria and and a lot of those, like, um, black holes, those Mm -hmm. black pits of no no actual structural government, those came out of the Arab Spring. Yeah. From the uprising, from a bunch of different things, a bunch of different factors, but one of them primarily being... 
Yeah. It's food prices. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, that's why you look at, I mean, Libya is a mess. I mean, Egypt was a mess. I mean, it's. Was or still is? Well, <laughs> a lot of them I mean, still Egypt are. has pulled out a little bit, but Libya still, I think, is still trying to stabilize. Well, here here's a fun fact. Just two weeks probably before the um, actual Russia invaded Ukraine. So we're saying Russia has an impact on possible food food chain issues. Yeah. And p- potential like civil uprising, civil unrest. On February 15th, this report came out in the Wall Street Journal saying decade decade high food prices are driving poverty and unrest in Africa. Uh-huh. And this was before the Russia Ukraine thing kicked yeah. off. The food prices were already stirring up unrest in Africa. And across the continent, and probably yeah. in the Middle East and shit. So, what do you think's happening now? Oh, there? it's getting ape shit now. So, do you still do? You, do you believe that um, maybe food shortages could be a key indicator of like social unrest? Oh, globally. absolutely. Yeah, globally on a global level, not just Russia, not just yeah. Ukraine, but well, I think. Primarily in the the hotbed areas, you know, the yeah. like you said, the developing nations, you know, Latin America, Middle East, Africa, right. Asia, you know, I th- yeah, I think it's going to go crazy. You want to talk about the Arab Spring just a little bit to yeah. get, get an idea I of this? Because love the Arab Spring. you're the one that's like, you know, maybe we have another Arab Spring coming up. Yes. And there's all kinds of speculation and things, ideas thrown out yes. of what started the Arab Spring, like... Uh, like corruption is always a big one, like yeah, government corruption right. or authoritarian governments. They just right. they just want their freedoms. Yeah. Um, can, can I chime in what I think did it? Sure. Uh, the NED. <laughs> yes, the NED had, and you you like to jump ahead, but that's, I'm, that's I'm sorry. Right. We don't. We yeah. need to. We need to. Well, here get is on that wavelength. We do. Uh, that's okay. Here is the Wikipedia article about the Arab Spring. So I mean, this isn't like like we find these. World governments, global governments, and we say that they're bad and they do bad shit. Yeah. But um, a lot of times it's not conspiracy theory. It's like right. right out there in the open for yeah. you to look at. You just got to look for it. Right. Because this is on the Wikipedia page of um, Arab Spring. the Arab Spring. It says, <laughs> in the first paragraph of causes. <laughs> so you scroll down to the causes section, the Last sentence on the first paragraph said, Some activists had taken part in programs sponsored by the U.S.-funded National Endowment for Democracy, or NED, as we like to call it. We talked about that a lot last week. Yes. But the government, U.S. government claimed that they did not initiate the uprising. Oh, of course. Oh, they didn't initiate it. Because it's it, an they, NGO. They right? had a, a helpful hand in right. orchestrating yeah. it, but they didn't, they didn't initiate yeah. it. But let's get back to this other article that said, what the real problem was, and that was food riots are mm-hmm. what started it. That makes sense. Because most people, like I said, talk about like government corruption. They talk about um, like political issues, like the the desire for democracy or whatever, right. or which is what they all these other things. That was the narrative that was being pushed sure. here. And it's is still that it was this, that it was this this like grassroots campaign that yeah. the people have come together to overthrow the dictators and and yep. it had nothing to do with you know with Google or, or the NED or anybody trying to push things. No, but um, this, this one focuses specifically on the underlying condition being food, right? food prices. And so I'm going to read this one. This one's actually an article from Medium, 
Um, so this was written by Abdel Rahman. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'll post a link to this article because it's a good article. Um, it's, it's titled Food Riots in the Arab Spring. God, these pop-ups everywhere. In early 2011, the world witnessed an unprecedented wave of political uprisings in the Middle East, known as the Arab Spring. Protesters marched from Tunisia to Egypt to Yemen, demanding the toppling of their regimes along with freedom, equality, and bread. Some were successful in taking down their dictators to later on establish democratic states with free elections for the first time in decades. Other countries, or most of them, plunged into an all-out civil war that still plagues the area today. Obvious reasons that ignited the uprisings across the Middle East include high levels of corruption, police brutality, no real political freedom, low levels of income along with high income inequality, high levels of youth unemployment, and last and least authoritarian regimes. It says, however, there was one factor unnoticed that had a global impact but affected that affected the Middle East the most. Food prices, more specifically the rising price of grain. Now, pay attention to this quote here. This is very interesting. And then put this back on the Russia situation today. If you want to predict where political instability, revolutions, coups, or interstate welfare will occur, the best factor to keep an eye on is not the GDP, which they were talking about, right. Russia and their extremely low GDP. Right. It's not the human development index or energy prices or oil or anything like that. If I were to pick a single indicator, economic, political, or social, that I think will tell us more than any other, it would be the price of grain. That makes sense. So that is the key like trigger point for social unrest, for civil wars, for coups, all that shit that goes on over there. Look at the price of grain. If mm. it's exceptionally high, if it's going through the roof, there's a good chance people are going to lose their freaking minds. Right. Says early signs, the first major warning of what came to be a food crisis appeared in the form of a brief paper on the website of the U.N.'s Food and Agriculture Organization in December 2010 with the headline, Recent Bouts of Extreme Price Volatility in Global Agriculture Markets. It goes on to say a bunch of that stuff, talking about rising food costs, threats to food security, and shit like that. Says the shocks occurred a long way from Cairo and Damascus, where a lot of the riots were. The, the shocks actually didn't happen there, the food shocks, because they right. don't get their food from locally. Guess what one of the key places was where the shock was? Russia. Fires in Russia. So uh, Russian food supply was hit. Gotcha. And that effect that helped spark the Arab Spring. What are we talking about today? <laughs> Russia's, Russia's food, food supply. supply getting hit. Yeah. Potential of a new Arab Spring. Or civil unrest. Or civil unrest. Same yeah, exactly. So fires in Russia, heavy rain in Canada, destroying wheat crops. Hot weather in Argentina destroyed soybean crops. Australian floods ruined wheat harvests. And even the Middle East wheat production was down due to yellow dust. However, the Middle East accounts for one-third of worldwide wheat imports. The combined effect of these far-flung agricultural problems was, was to bump up the food price index by 32%. Damn. So food went up 32% cost. Yeah. Again, when you're in one of those countries where 70% of your income, 80% of your income goes to food, right. that's a big fucking difference. Yeah. The good, the bad, and the ugly side of globalization. Globalization. There you go. By checking the Food and Agricultural 
Organization of the United Nations Global Food Price Index, a measure of the monthly change in the international prices of a basket of food commodities, we could observe a major surge in the food price index in 2008, then followed by the, the highest ever increase in the index in the last 40 years in 2011. So this was building up. 2008, they had major food crisis. Great. 2011, major food crisis. And then the world went mad. At least the Middle East went mad. So talks about droughts that occ- uh, occurred causing. I mean, there's just a lot of shit yeah. that happened that, that led to this. It wasn't just one event like we're talking about here. Right. But a lot in different, co- like floods in some countries, yeah. droughts in some countries, fires in some countries. And on top of that, apparently, Russia decided to cut out food exports or wheat exports for the rest of the year because they had such a low amount themselves. Oh, okay. So not only did their supply go down, but they completely cut off their supply to the rest of the world, which goes to those countries. You tank the economy of of Russia, right? right? And dramatically cut their their shipping. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're going to try to keep things in-house because things are going ape shit over there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're going to be... It's self-preservation Absolutely, it turns right. into. And that's not a fault of theirs. No. That's Any country would do the same. Yeah, yeah we would do well, that. except for the United States. Well, we might not do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we should do that. <laughs> we should. If there's f- food supply shortages, you should yeah. supply food to yourselves first right. and foremost, and then the rest of the world. And, um, yes, that that has major impact on those countries that supply or that um, depend 90, 80, 90, hundred percent of their supply comes from Russia. Yeah. Well, that's not Russia's fault that you're that dependent on them. Right. That's your, your damn fault for not d- diversifying. That's like, right. it's like playing the stock market and you have all your eggs in one basket and that basket tanks and you're just like, Oh shit, I lost all my money. Well, right. that's why you diversify. Yeah. And I mean, these are poor countries. It's not like they have right. a lot of options. Yeah, so exactly. You they, can't fault them too much, but right. you can't fault the country that you're putting <laughs> the eggs in the basket for either. Talks about the politics of hunger. After food price shock in the late 70s, prices dropped heavily during the mid-80s. A combination of factors led to a slowing of global economic growth, which in return affected the spread of the Green Revolution, which then improved the... Fi- efficiency of agriculture in developing countries and contributed to falling price of oil. Interesting. Um, It talks about a bunch of stuff. Scroll down to here. It says the first of the events that recaptured the attention on food prices and political risk, which is what got them to do this report, was the 2007-2008 food crisis, which triggered food riots in countries from Haiti to Bangladesh to Mozambique. Beak? Never even heard of that. So <laughs> we talk a lot about Haiti. Yeah. I didn't realize that food crisis also affected Haiti. Man, yeah. Haiti gets like... Haiti always gets the Haiti rushed end. Gets, yeah. yeah, it just gets fucked completely. Yeah. Talks about farming crises, all kinds of stuff. All these different things led to this. It's right. That, and it goes into what talks about uh, in low-income, underdeveloped countries, food purchases can make can make to 70% of an individual's basic income. The result when prices of grain increase by 30-plus percent is extreme distress, volatility, and vulnerability to uprisings and civil disorders. It's getting a little uncomfortable. A lot of countries, especially the poorer ones, must rely so much on world markets. So 
we've created this global monster. Yeah. And it's interesting to me that the the people that tout globalization, like specifically the Bill Gateses of the world, the World Economic Klaus Schwabs of the world, they're the ones touting, well, we have to globalize for world hunger. Right. And that just makes them that much more vulnerable yeah. to basically their own demise because if one of these countries that is solely supporting them goes down the tube, right. then yeah. they're just fucked with them. Yeah. So these these countries that 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 try to push or not these countries, these organizations, mostly the NGOs, because they're not backed by the US government. Right. These NGOs that push for globalization uh in order to bring equality to these poorer countries, it's really doing quite the opposite. Right. Yeah. And like, like what, what's your, what, well, what do I, you have to say about that? Because <laughs> that, that was interesting to me that they, they went straight there. They're like, well, the problem is uh, globalization. And yeah. we're like, well, that's what the globalists are saying. will fix that problem. Is right. Globalization. Yeah. No, that, that's interesting because it makes me think like, what, what is the, the true agenda then? Because yeah. it's obvious that globalization does not, you know, they always tout equity, right? Uh-huh. That's why they want to do the Great Reset. That's right. why they they want to globalization is equity, and it seems like it, that's the opposite yeah. of what happens with globalization. There is no equity. It's no. even worse because yeah, they're so, they're so dependent on somebody that if it falls through, they're fucked. Yeah. So so this talks about how when there's food shortages, like some of these. Like more compact civilizations have ways to uh, manipulate things, manipulate food prices or right. what have you to artificially um, lower them in order to keep the people happy, basically. And it it talks about uh, says food, of course. All right, hang on. It says with t- today's heavily integrated and intertwined. Uh, global economies, any shock can start a butterfly effect that brings with it political risk and economic vulnerabilities across the globe, making no place immune to any wave of rebellion because globalization is a fact. So, again, globalization is actually what's leading to a lot of the social well, yeah. unrest. It makes sense. Not doing because, the opposite. You know, you have, you have floods in Australia, and all of a sudden, Mozambique is, is screwed for food, yeah, right? right? I mean, it's just, you yeah, know... It, it, that specifically says in the next sentence, it says an upset in one place, i.e. sanctions on Russia, yeah. uh, will quickly translate into a fury in another, like, I don't know, Egypt or right. uh, those other countries that are yeah. solely dependent on Russia. Uh, that That's going to lead to mass fury but there. Y- you know what they need, though? What's that? It's the only thing freedom. that can help them. No. They <laughs> no. need our freedom. Well, yes. No, they they need a centralized government to be able to control yes, this all. Yes. Um my thought hold on to that for a second. I, I will. Um I, I know I jumped ahead again. That, that's okay. <laughs> I I I have an opinion. I have a theory on that. Yes. Because you think seeing all this and they're like, well, uh I don't know, these social uprisings, they usually lead to like an overthrow of the globe like the the leadership. Yeah. So why would you want to make some kind of move to push? Because we talk about how the the NED, the National Endowment for Democracy, quote unquote, yeah. um, basically sanctions and, and trains these like social uprisings. Yeah. Like, 
and we talk about how it's so we can go in and meddle. It's like, why would we, why would we want to support something that just gets the people insane yeah. and rioting? How, how do you expect to control that after the fact? And that, that's where we go so wrong all the fucking time. Right. Yeah. That's why the Arab Spring led to basically where we are today with right. these just like political black holes, right. these um, like vacuums, power yeah. vacuums, right. where all these people, I mean. Well, and, and usually it's the strong man that takes over. It's the bully that yeah. takes over. And so. then the people get pissed off at them and overthrow them. Yeah. It just it's a cycle. So yeah, it, just it is. But it but it keeps it by keeping it unstable. Yeah, I think it gives, you know, the it gives a certain amount of control. Oh, yeah. Right. Or or, or it, it keeps, keeps them from becoming a threat down yeah. the road because they're so entwined with their own shit that right. they they can't cause and problems. It keeps them dependent on the the superpowers exactly. to, to keep feeding them right. because if they are. Um, if they're involved in their own shit so much that they don't like, like they were saying, Ukrainians don't have time to yeah. go farm because right. they're out fighting a war. Right. Well, imagine these countries that are solely at yeah. perpetual war; they can't ever go farm, uh, so they're going to have to be dependent on us. But global look, look powers. how look how involved in the Middle East politics that Egypt used to be, right? And then sure. all of a sudden, Arab Spring hits, and and now you you don't even hear about Egypt, right? right? Not really. Same thing with um, Libya. Libya was like you know under Gaddafi. Was one of the major bullies of the Middle East, yeah. And so then well, the Arab Spring hits, Qaddafi's gone, and now it's a, the Wild West. Mm-hmm. It's like they have a different leader every week. So this talks about how the different governments kind of handle situations like that. It says authoritarian governments have a habit of maintaining food and fuel prices artificially low through sub subsidies and price controls. So it talks authoritarian governments. How does the U.S. handle food crises? By maintaining food and fuel prices artificially low right. through subsidies and price control. Yeah. I mean, we've had a fake economy since the invention of the fake currency, the right. fiat currency, uh, back in this in 1971 when right. we got off the gold standard. Our economy has been artificial since then. Right. It says, without a safety net to lean on, this could leave governments highly vulnerable to political risk if the subsidies were removed. Yeah. Uh, but the U.S. government just keeps throwing more subsidies on top of it. Well, we do that here, too. So it says rational leaders have an incentive to cater to the preferences of urbanites. They are closer to the center of power. They face lower costs for collective action. They live in dense environment in which protests are particularly threatening to a leader. So what do these people want? They want cheap food. If you're if you're the dictator of a small rich con- uh, country, you can theoretically feed your population indefinitely. Take for example Saudi Arabia. King Abdullah tried to sedate his people during the Arab Spring into compliance by, listen to this, ordering $35 billion to be spent on infrastructure, housing, and social services. Huh. So that's how he he convinced, he sedated his people into compliance to, to not uprise against him. Yeah. Looking at the Build Back Better agenda. Yep, right. What do you think that is? Yeah, it's, same it's, thing. Uh, billions, trillions of dollars on infrastructure, housing, and social services. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how that works. Yeah, it says um, and education, along with development funds that help Saudis buy homes, get married, and start businesses. The message to citizens was clear and hard to disapprove with locally. So when you're giving out all this free shit and fixing things up, it's hard for the populace to be like. Let's go get him. Yeah, let's right, let's yeah, push right. him out because Shit, why were we pissed about him about <laughs> yeah, before? Yeah, and so <laughs> that really makes you question about <laughs> yeah. um, what's going on in America right now. Not mm-hmm. that we're 
in that quite volatile situation. Right. Maybe we yeah. are. I mean, with, no, that's true. with all the riots and stuff we had in 2019, right. 2020, maybe we are. Ken says he's been trying to argue with his coworkers that sanctions on Russia could be very well lead to a worse global scenario. They seem to feel it's a peaceful option. <laughs> I don't, I mean, it might look peaceful. Right. But again, you're backing Putin into a hole where, right. A, out of, like, spite, he could shut off his outflow of right. reserves yeah. of crops and oil and shit. Or B, just out of, like we said, self-preservation, he mm -hmm. has to shut off his outflow of, right. of um, commodities because yeah. he has to preserve it for his own. And yes, that might look peaceful toward the Russians, but how does that play out for the rest of the world right exactly there's a lot of people dependent on what russia gives them sure if russia decides to stop giving it then it can create conflict in other places right so you know bigger picture i.e globalization there, someone's always going to be affected and it's always going to come down to violence yeah i mean that's the world we kind of live in yeah. and the only way around that is to like flip it on its head maybe right yeah, I know. Uh, like maybe reset everything and <laughs> right. So it says, where does this leave us now, and what does a world of permanently expensive food mean for global politics? Most probably, as globalization keeps on dominating the global economy, it will lead to more global instability in countries that are already among the world's conflict hotspots. There you go. So it's just going to make things worse. Globalization yeah. is going to make things more volatile. It's not going to make it more peaceful, right. not peace and harmony where everybody is up here. Right. Unless we go into complete, like, yeah, well, bowing down to the World Economic Forums. Right. I mean, what we really need is people not to have their own property. Mm -hmm. Well, obviously. And then we, we just throw, like, bugs and yeah, mealworms at exactly. people, and then they'll all be happy and yeah. live just in peace. put everybody in high-rises in the middle of the cities, yeah. and they don't have to go to work. And Yeah, I mean, they'll be happy sitting on their ass. Right. Um, Awaken says, why isn't China, who supposedly owns the U.S., not helping their best friend Russia? I think China is kind of the middleman here. Yeah. Because... They don't want to make waves because they have their own agenda that they're trying right. to push. And the Russia thing doesn't really quite follow that. Yeah. But I, I think if it came down to which one they would support, uh, they're going to support Russia, hands down, yeah. when it, if it comes down to it. So, but I, you back, know, at the other point, though, like, I think it's, I think they're kind of, I think they could they can pull, they could pull Russia up on their own if they needed to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I think they're just, keeping out of it for now sure mostly because like you said you know taiwan's sitting there and they they've got their own their eyes on taiwan so the the key to this this article before i get away from this article the key to it was that when it comes down to its most basic component most basic element the uh single trigger to riots around the world are food prices yes so take, take that back to the situation in Russia today. Right. Minimal implications worldwide, global, minimal, minimal problems. This could cause major on Russia, but minimal to the rest of the world? I don't think so. No, I don't think so I think so this is going to cause a complete shit show, especially, yeah. like I said, Africa, the mm -hmm. Middle East. Yeah. The, the 
mi- minority country, the yeah. third world developing countries. Yeah. Latin America. And back to what you're talking about, Klaus Schwab. Yes. And how, like, like what's his role in all this? So, like, what, would yeah. he want more uprising in the Middle East in another, like, shit show of an Arab Spring? I, I yeah. think, I feel like he's narcissistic enough to be like, oh, I saw what happened there in 2010. Yeah. What if I could capitalize on that? Right. You know, he could, yeah. he's just like, you know, the problem they had is they didn't have good old Klaus Schwab <laughs> here to step in and sweep up the mess. Right. What if we recreate that mess? But this time. But this time, I step in and just yeah. start picking up the pieces. Right. Picking up all the, 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 I don't know. The well, control, yeah, like stepping in and form. Like I, I feel like he's narcissistic enough, or people like the not. I'm not just not just the World Economic Forum, but these like NGOs that go yeah. in like Ned and mm-hmm. stir up shit in those countries intentionally. Yeah, I feel like they're at a point in their game where they feel like, all right, guys, let let's let's go back into this. Yeah, let's do this again, but let's do it the right way this time. Right. And instead of letting them t- deal it out themselves, let's come and. Sweep up the mess for them. Well, and I could see kind of how we talked about how the United States used Haiti kind of as a guinea pig, Mm -hmm. right, with their their corporate thing that I think that they tried to do to Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And I can see the the World Economic Forum looking at the Middle East like that. Be like, look, or, or Africa, be like, look, we have a real opportunity here to see what it would look like. Sure. Practically, right? We can come in, offer them a solution. And and we can build it the way we want to, right? And 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 we can practice there, right? What goes right, what goes wrong, sure. Before we spread it out to everybody else, I I think so. And uh, we talked not too long ago about how away from the Middle East, nobody really talks too much about Africa. And right. Like that one article said, hey, uh, a bunch of um, uprisings or, or civil unrest is happening in Africa due to food shortages before the Russia-Ukraine thing. Yeah. And we've talked how Africa's t- kind of turning into, like, the economic playground for, right. for the global Yeah, I mean, even powers. China's. Like, China's trying to form their Beltway initiative yeah. into Africa to have trade routes into Africa. Yeah. Everybody knows or is starting to realize, hey, we got all this fresh, untapped industry yeah. down here. Right. Um, undeveloped. I mean, we could shit. I mean, we could just launder money through developing right. those countries or the the states and countries in in Africa. Yeah. And imagine the resources yeah. they have there. And and they're probably more compliant. Oh, absolutely. I mean, especially if you go into one of those countries. So what was the country in Africa we talked about that China owns their fucking oh, airport yeah. now. Is that, uh, is that Uganda? Uh, so, something like that. Like, you yeah. go in there, you basically own the state. You subsidize, subsidize, subsidize yeah. to the point where you basically own the freaking state. Yeah. You get them deep in debt with you, and when they can't, when they default on that debt, you basically own the country yeah. now. And so, I mean, it's easy to go in and, without firing a shot, take over some of those yeah. countries just by yeah. being the sole provider of everything there. Right. Absolutely. So when Africa becomes the playground, but they're still kind of run by their own governments. Yeah. What do you do? You get the people pissed off at those yeah. governments, so well, you can come and take again, over. Mo- most of those governments aren't stable, anyways. You know, mm-hmm. most of them are again one violent overthrow away from you know having a whole new group to work with. Well, I I had watched a video how um, in 2020 to 2021 in a year and a half time span, 
there was in five countries there was six government overthrows no, in yeah. five co- countries in a year that. and a half because of all this different shit and i'm yeah. sure i'm sure the us played a part or the oh, the yeah. ngos played a part the ned yeah. played a part in all of that shit china probably played a part getting people all stirred up getting mm-hmm. the population all pissed off i mean if you can find a way to con- like control the food prices or affect the food prices by i don't know maybe like imposing these extreme sanctions on russia right and i don't think i don't think biden is smart enough to come up with that thought on his no, own and be like you know no. how we could control some of these third world countries is if we impose these mega restrictions on yeah. russia who supplies most yeah. of those third world countries i'd seen the national is the national food something organization or something like okay. that uh, basically the un's like food distrib- distribution to the poor countries yeah I think it was like 70% of their wheat came from Russia alone. Wow. The UN's own organization got 70% of their wheat that they distribute to poor countries. Huh. So not only does Russia distribute to poor countries, but the UN's poor country organization, food organization, gets gets a ton from Russia. So I do think there's like the big puppet masters sitting up there. Like Biden's not that smart. No. But Biden's just dumb enough to that if you get somebody whispering in his ear, harder sanctions, harder, harder, yeah. Mr. Biden, harder, yeah. do it harder. They need to see you be strong. They need yeah. to see your strength. And he's like, I've got balls, yeah. and and so he keeps pushing harder, and they're just sitting in the background like, yes, yeah, yes, my plan is working. Yeah. And then Biden doesn't see, or Jen Psaki, who says minimal impacts across the globe, right? Don't see the long. Yeah. The long-term goal, or not even that long-term, yeah. really. I mean, it takes how, how long of people being hungry before they start getting really pissed oh, off? Not long at all. <laughs> no. Right. So, But then uh, they can also control the narrative. Sure. Right? Again, oh, wow, the people are uprising against their orth- authoritarian government. Wow, this is freedom in action. So, I- interesting enough, talking about um, Africa being kind of the economic playground yeah. currently, guess where Europe is turning... For their oil subsidies or their natural gas subsidies, since um, they know they're going to get cut off from Russia, guess who they're turning to? Africa. Africa. Really? Yeah. So there's a lot of freedom that needs to be had in Africa right now. <laughs> I, I, oh, right. I think so. But if you don't have to fire a shot, and you can get the people to do it for you. Right. Absolutely. And then Why create not? that vacuum for you. Then it makes it that much easier. Well, the narcissists think it's that much easier to go in and control yeah. it. But as we've seen in the Middle East. It's not that easy to go right. in and control those places once right. you once you spark that that like fire. you said it's the narcissism of it though that makes them think they can do it. Yeah, and I think it's those elites who have every intention of flipping the world on its head. Yeah. That are all about this this yeah. conflict in Ukraine and Russia, all about um I don't know, making it a little uncomfortable for the rest of the world so they can come and be like, you know, that's because the system doesn't work. Right. Yeah. yeah just, just you need equity. Let let let's flip the system yeah. over, and and w- we can help save you. We can subsidize your food. Yeah. We can provide uh, all. We, if you gave us control of all the resources, then you don't have these countries like Russia, yeah. Ukraine, right, that are really having that much effect on you because yeah. we control the resources and we are smart and we're we're the nice humane people that right. are going to distribute it out yeah. equally equitably 
yeah, amongst everybody. Exactly. Have you tried roasted mealworm? <laughs> yeah. So, do you think that plan succeeds for them, though? No. I they, mean, looking at how the Middle East has turned out yeah. in the last, what, 50 well, years? again, the thing that they, they overlook is the the cultural differences. Sure. Right? The, the religious differences, which in areas like Iran is a major thing, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they're theo- theocratic governments. You know, there's such a difference in Africa, you know, where they, they want to try to control and, you know, we got to educate them on their, their you know, they so they can only have one kid, you know, mm-hmm. so they're they know that's important, right? Whereas in Africa, it's like, shit, you're not shit unless you have 12 kids, right? right? I mean, that's what get, makes you king of the mountain. And so it's just this total difference in culture and, and they don't understand that. Mm-hmm. And or or they do, and they they think that they could push them past it if they throw enough food at them. Yeah, I, I, you know. But I I think they underestimate how important people's culture is to them. I I picture I just got this mental image. I picture these like globalist elitists, whatever you want to call them, without sounding like Alex Jones. Sure. I picture them as like. Jenga players, the world's worst Jenga players that think they're the best Jenga players. <laughs> right. They're like, oh, all I got to do is pull this piece and I win. And they pull it and the whole thing yeah, topples right. down. They're like, whoa, whoa, but that's the last one on the bottom. It, yeah. It's okay. <laughs> but again, some of these people, like the World Economic Forum that wants a great reset, I think they'd just be like, knock it over. They're Absolutely. like that. They're the asshole kid that just knocks yeah, it over. Right. And then they're like, watch, I can build it better. Yeah, exactly. Build back better. Yeah. <laughs> but. It's like because obviously the foundation is corrupt, so yeah. so we right. gotta tear it down and rebuild it. Yeah. It's like we're talking human lives though. Yeah. But how many people have to die to build that into that system that you think is the right system for the good of humanity? How many people have to lose their lives in those third world countries that would be hit immediately and the hardest? I, I don't I don't think they care. They don't. Because for them it's like you know the the ends justify the means. Mm-hmm. You know if you got to go through two billion people, you know at least you'll finally have a society that works. And those are the people having twelve kids too. So right, exactly overpopulating the world exactly. anyway. So, so they're not helpful. Yeah. So I mean that that's about all I got to talk about the the food crisis and the food shortages and how that could yeah. possibly you you see how that could possibly affect oh absolutely the entire globe specifically those poor regions, but. In turn, that's going to affect the rest of us. Oh, absolutely. So it's time for a break, and then I want to switch courses. Okay. Because I want to switch more, the focus more directly to us here in the United States because we're selfish here in the United States, so we got to talk about us. Yeah. So uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to take probably four or five minutes. I need something to drink. I'm parched. Um, go refresh your drink. Do what it is you got to do. Just make sure you come back because... We like to get juicier in the second half. Yeah, let's get and more we're, salacious. We're, we're shifting courses, so um, this is a good time to, to break now. Yeah. So we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Please come back. Please clap. Uh, we'll, we will be. Oh, shit. Right back. Have you ever thought that maybe voting, maybe all this politics constantly surrounding you is not the way to achieve freedom in your life? Hi, I'm Remster W. Martinez, and I ask myself the same question. That's why I'm on a journey to find true freedom in my lifetime. From learning about financial independence, to new ways to develop rugged individualism, to amazing guests living strange 
crazy, amazing lifestyles that you've only thought might be real, but actually are. Go ahead and check out my new show, On the Run with Remster W. Martinez at the We Are Libertarians Network. You can find On the Run with Remster W. Martinez on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play. You know how the internet works. Come on down and let's discover how to achieve real freedom in your life together. Hey, everybody. I just want to take this time to give a big shout out to the very first sponsor of the Break the Bell podcast. That is Goulash Media. They can be found at goulashmedia.net. Goulash Media specializes in graphic design, web design, audio recordings, video work, wedding videos, uh, music videos, even political campaign videos. Uh, Goulash Media caters to the little guy with the big vision. You can check them out at goulashmedia.net. That's G-O-U-L-A-S-H media.net. We're back. Yeah, good Ta- break. Yeah, talking happy topics. Yes, night. Like, we always do the happy stuff at the end. Yeah, well, just happy across the board. Like, uh, I don't know, world famine, world famine, <laughs> civil disorder, civil yeah. unrest, you overthrowing know. of governments, cats and dogs living together. <laughs> yeah, just wait. Eventually, at some point, that kind of lifestyle, like. The U.S. feels like we're immune to that here, or right. like, because we're a superpower, you know, we're right. at, we're at the top of the food chain for now. But eventually, it has to come back around. To it us always because, does. I mean, people are losing confidence in the U.S. People are losing like respect for the U.S. I right. guess um, we're kind of turning into the laughing stock across the globe. Yeah, and I think a lot of these like European countries that have to have our backs aren't doing it so willingly as they are right. like kind of um they're kind of forced to because we hold so much power across the board when it comes to like the un when it comes to nato when it comes right. to like the the central banking or the international monetary yeah. fund we we hold all the chips so once we stop holding those chips that's when people stop backing us as much and stop having our backs and then eventually it gets to the point where that shit that we talked about in third world countries, that's going to be at our doorstep someday, right. I think. No, I agree. I feel like it, eventually. Agree. Maybe not in the near future, but eventually. So we talked about like energy prices. We talked about food prices yes. and how it's affected by this conflict in, in Russia-Ukraine conflict. Yeah. What about the effects on the U.S. dollar? Sure, it's not good. Because <laughs> well, the U.S. dollar has... <laughs> has had a, ru- a rough go. I was going to say, it's not in a good place right no, now. No, it's had a rough go in the last uh, couple years. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't imagine why. I mean, we print trillions of dollars, so it should be in good shape, right? right? And I talked uh, briefly about, I, I had mentioned my opinion on um, the American economy being a fake economy because we right. got freaking fake money. Right. It's not backed by anything. Anymore. No, it's it's a fiat cu- currency, which yeah. is just a, a polite way of saying it's fake money. It's monopoly right. money, yeah. and it's been that way since 1971. And inflation has gone through the roof since 1971. It's interesting to me that um, 
the dollar is considered the uh, it's like the top trading dollar. Yeah, it's the standard. It, yeah, it's the standard. What I, I don't remember what it's called, but it, it's the standard, the global standard for yeah. trade, because it and it's been that way since World War II because it was the safest bet. Right. It's the most stable. It was. Well, yeah, I I still think it's probably the most stable because so? n- none of the other countries are probably doing too much That's better. True. That's true. Um, but it's not stable by any stretch, no. in my opinion. Especially like right now, we I mean we've se- seen plenty of people in the last couple of years predict the crash of the dollar. And what happens right. when the dollar crashes? Right. Well, how I mean, what does that have to do with this Russia Ukraine shit? I mean, we we already have enough problems with the dollar, but um, how is this affected by this Russia Ukraine shit? I found this article from Newsweek that says sanctions are destroying the U.S. dollar status as the world's top currency. Interesting. Yeah, sanctions alone, not not forget all the rest of that shit. Forget yeah. the forget the fact that food prices or inflation or whatever printing money sanctions alone are destroying the U.S. dollar's status as the world's top currency. Hmm. And I kind of alluded to that this in the beginning of the show. This is the article I was right. referring okay. to here. So this is going to get into some of that shit about um, what I was talking about, antibiotics and stuff. That came from this article. Oh, okay. So again, this is from Newsweek. It says, The United States' reliance on economic sanctions to coerce other countries is gradually losing its effectiveness and slowly degrading one of Washington's most influential tools in international affairs, the power of the U.S. dollar, experts told Newsweek. The greenback stands in a class of its own as the most popular and robust currency across international banking system, outsizing its next largest competitor, the euro, by a factor of nearly three to one. Mm-hmm. When it comes to currencies, the dollar is by far the world's safest bet. And this came out, when did this come out? I think this is actually old. Yeah, this came out, in April of last year. So this oh, okay. is before this round of sanctions. Gotcha. This okay. was during earlier sanctions that they were imposing on countries like China and North Korea and, and stuff like gotcha. that. So at the time, it was by far the world's safest bet. It probably still is. It says the continual use of sanctions to pressure countries and companies perceived to be acting against U.S. interests may also be weakening the dollar's global position. It's certainly not an imminent threat to the dominance of the dollar, but it's by far... The biggest one, said Ben Style, a senior fellow and director of international economics at, guess what? Harvard. The Council on Foreign Relations. No shit. Yeah, I mean, we always find these connections. I know. From week to week, Damn. we have rollover connections where these big mega yeah. um, the organizations that we are saying is the next threat to... Yeah. To I know. We always th- find these like secret NGOs. Yeah, that... and then they just pop up yeah. all the time. At the, these NGOs we knew nothing about. Yeah. Then, for weeks after, every time we go to research other articles, they just are yeah. all over the place. Or people it's, affiliated with them will pop up and be like, motherfucker. Right. It's, it's like when you go out and buy a certain car that you... Yeah. I, you it, never see it anywhere. But once you buy it, yeah. you notice it all over the road. It's like, motherfucker, that guy drives a, a white yeah. freaking Malibu, too. Yeah. It's like, man... I don't buy, I don't drive a white Malibu. I was just no, it's a Prius. Yeah, I don't drive a Prius. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> I drive a big gas guzzling pickup truck. So it says in a time of major market disruption due to the global pandemic, Style used a medical example to illustrate how the overuse of sanctions is actually making the malady worse. Antibiotics can be very powerful against certain types of bacteria, he said. But as you know, if you overuse them. On a population, strains of bacteria develop that are resistant to the antibiotic. And that's exactly what we're seeing now. 
Even as a number of experts sound the alarm, the tantalizing convenience of simply prescribing these economic restrictions as a one-fits-all cure is losing its effect, and at the same time empowering the opposition. What you see is this particular tool, to the extent that we're using it, you can expect that it becomes more and more cost-effective for countries that are affected to look for alternatives. Like I said, he said this back in 2021, right? last year, April last year. Saying, look, you keep using this on people on yeah. on other countries, they're going to start looking to alt- alternative financing. Yeah. Which brings me to, I'm going to jump to another article and then I'll jump back on this Kay. one. This came out just this week. Russian banks are seeking refuge in Chinese payment systems. So I said, it's not happening. Yeah, I said uh, that the credit card companies are. Right. Doing away like Mastercard, Visa, and what's the other one? American, American Express. Express are are putting blocks on Russia, so they got to get their financing somewhere. So they turn to China. Yeah. This one says, as Western companies continue to suspend operations or withdraw from Russia due to its invasion of Ukraine, China has become a possible Plan B. Hmm. Russian banks that include Suburbank, the country's largest bank assets, and Alpha Bank said on Sunday that they are exploring the possibility of issuing co-badged cards powered by payment systems like Chinese state-owned UnionPay and Russia's MER for international payments, according to Russian State News. Uh, Spurbank said it will soon reveal a launch date for such cards, with AlphaBank saying it's already at work on launching cards based on UnionPay, which is Chinese. See, and you know China's been working on this for for years. Yeah, they're like, oh, damn, I... They're they're gonna turn to us for their debt and finance. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that's not saying that they're turning to that like turning away from the yeah. dollar, but that's a step that direction. Right. Where they're going to other countries for their financing. Yeah. yeah. When yeah. it used to be here in the United States. Yeah, and you know China would put it out there, be like, "What the United States is fucking with you? <laughs> well, we have an, a solution. Come to us." Uh, CD says yes. <laughs> Thank you. The Russians getting their hands on the tech that converts crypto to yuan. That's what this is all about. Mm-hmm. I don't know enough about crypto yeah. to to really say much about that. And I've heard that a lot of people are going to turn from the dollar and turn to crypto. And that's why a lot of uh, well, regulation is being I was like, going to say, I just pushed. saw on Twitter that Biden's pushing through a major uh, regulation on crypto um, this week. Yeah, yeah. so that is them running scared that... Yeah. Um, People are gonna turn away from the dollar and go to an un- unregulated, uh, yeah, crypto. So I I didn't even dig into that because I don't understand enough about crypto because yeah I'm we, a boomer. We need a crash. We need a crash course. We do, and I know people that would give it to us, but I think I'd probably like my brain would explode. <laughs> so back to this article from Newsweek. So you see where they're already kind of looking for alternate alternative financing. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're holding the dollar hostage against them because we are the number one, right. um, they're going to they're going to do the same with that and turn to other currencies such as the yuan or such as I don't know crypto or the right. Japanese yen or whatever right. it is. But it'll most likely be the yuan because it's China, right. and they're becoming the number one economy pretty soon. Yeah. Goes on to say. Um, 
While the dollar is likely to remain the currency of choice in the world banking system for some time, these alternatives are multiplying and improving as Washington's peerless position is increasingly questioned by friends and foes alike. The U.S. practice of boycotting adversaries dates back centuries, but the wholesale use of such measures coincides with the rise of the dollar as the world's reserve currency in the final years of World War II. I didn't realize that's when the dollar took over, but it makes sense. That's when the U.S. kind of took its place in the world. Yeah, as the the world superpower. Says the conflict imposed a devastating toll on the old colonial powers of Europe and paved the path for a new economic empire to rise and bridled U.S. capitalism. So, I mean, yes, we were paying off a lot of Europe's, or not paying off, but loaning them a ton of money to rebuild and all that shit. So it only makes sense that that's when we're like, yeah, but um, we're going to solely trade in dollars from now on. Yeah, right. Says Washington's literal money-making machine would outlast its top rival, the Soviet Union, and launch it into a new era of economic supremacy through the turn of the 21st century. Today, the dollar accounts for around 60% of foreign exchange reserves, easily topping the euro's estimated 21% and dwarfing the Japanese yen of 6%. Hmm. The British pound sterling, which, for those of you who don't know, I didn't know, the uh, the pound sterling was the reserve currency before the dollar was. Uh, okay. So that was the standard currency before. Right. Okay. And the pound sterling, as we learned today, is a dollar thirty six. Um, or is one pound sterling is a dollar thirty three. Yeah, that's so it. it's yeah. actually has more buying power. That's than fortuitous dollar that we does. came across that. Today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, it says the British pound sterling and other currencies in single digits, according to the latest figures from International Monetary Fund. But the U.S. is not unmatched in all economic measures. China is on the fast track to become the world's largest economy, even if its own currency comes in at roughly two point two five percent of foreign exchange reserves. Coinciding with Beijing's rise is an onslaught, onslaught of new sanctions from Russia or from Washington targeting People Republic for laundry list of alleged human rights abuses. So we're also doing the same thing to China, is what right. it's saying. Yeah. Um, and China's on the fast track. So right. it would be easy for China to be like, you know what, we're, we're why don't you guys, all you people that the US is p- imposing these yeah, sanctions which on. Which there's why, a lot of. <laughs> yeah. Why why don't you all come over to trade the Yuan? Yeah. Which it's interesting because um, I got a lot of information, so I'm not going to read it all. So I'll just uh, <laughs> highlight as much as I can. China backed the yuan with oil. So the it's called like the petro yuan or something. Okay. So Chinese yuan actually is backed, is backed yeah. by something. It's not backed by gold, but it's backed by oil. So it actually is a real currency the the petro yuan is actually a a real currency when dollars are just like ious pinocchio yeah so it i mean at some point you think that the world would be like you know that looks a little bit better than this here that at least has some kind of value to it this here we're just taking their word for it yeah so it goes on to say, we often choose to mistake other countries' pain for achieving our, our aims. So he's, he's talking again about U.S. sanctions. And right. are they actually doing what we want them to? Yes, it's causing pain to, like, Russia or China. Right. yeah. But are they actually changing their policies, which is— No. It's like, I mean, uh, Putin poisoned what's-his-name yeah. after sanctions. It, it's right. not like— the human rights abuses are going away because of sanctions. Right. Yeah. It is hurting them, but it's not changing them right. at all. 
And it goes on to say, in the end, who feels the pain the most? The civilian population. The people <laughs> that uprise in the end. May, right. Again, maybe in this circumstance, I think that's probably the goal is to hurt the people enough yeah. to where they uprise and overthrow Putin or whatever so we can put right. in another puppet puppet person there. No, that makes sense. So, so maybe it's not what we say we're trying to do, but... Well, I feel like we wouldn't come out and say that. (laughs) No, we're not going to because we've had we covertly had the CIA do that for years. And then now we have an NGO that's not the government. Right. They just get all their money from the government. Yes. The the NED that gets the civilian populations all like pissed off. Yeah. And so if we can add to that by imposing these sanctions, do we really care that the government's changing their policy? Yeah. No, because in the end, we just want them gone anyway. Right. Because they're not playing ball anyway, so who cares if they follow the policy? Let's put enough pressure on them so they just go the fuck away, or the people throw them out. says, the pain is felt mostly by civilian populations, especially in blacklisted countries like Cuba, Iran, North Korea, Syria, and Venezuela. Those sanctions have won political points at home for U.S. administrations. This is little evidence that the targeted countries shifted or abandoned undesirable policies of governments in response to economic coercion. I think they have like a drinking game. Be like, hey, U.S. put sanction on us again. Do a shot. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Joke about it. It's like, oh, this is going to suck. <laughs> Says instead, the U.S. has seen leading strategic competitors, China and Russia, and even allies and partners like Turkey and India, increasingly swing their economic weight in the direction of trading in their respective national currencies when it suits their interests. The dollar remains on top, but countries are beginning to question the degree to which U.S. financial institutions serve as intermediaries or gatekeepers for international banking. So so these countries, in turn, can be like, you know what? We don't want to freaking trade your dollar anyway. Yeah. You can keep your dollar. Right. I mean, right now, that's going to be difficult for them. But right. down the road, or, or maybe sooner than later, maybe they're for Like, Russia's got to... When they're backed right. into a corner, they got to do something. Right, exactly. Well, and if they have a powerful partner like China, say, "Hey, look, we got a solution for you." Yeah, just come over here. We'll give you some petrol, petrol yuan. Yeah, and and you can trade with us and right. with the, our, some of our partners. Yeah, um, I mean that that's obviously <laughs> where this goes because right. it was like the wheat when the wheat goes away or the oil when it goes away. They subsidize from. They got to subsidize from somebody right. else. Well, yeah. when Russia it is no longer getting being able yeah. to trade in in dollars, then they're going to turn over to these people that they're like, yeah, you can trade in in our yeah. currency. We and we got lots of it. Right. And then they can be like, oh, that sounds good. And I think little by little, these countries that are getting this pressure from the U.S. are going to start to realize once Russia goes, like. Venezuela will be like, you know yeah. what? You give me some of that too. Yeah, right. And then Iran right. will be like, you know what? That that I, doesn't sound like a bad idea. Yeah. Cu- then Cuba finally is like, shit, might as well. Everybody right. else is doing yeah. it. And then all of a sudden we're left yeah. with our pants down. Uh, because- I'd be curious to know how much, who who does uh, China primarily get their oil from? That I don't know. Um, you can look that up if you want. I shall. <clears throat> I thought I had an article here that was... This was probably three or four years ago. Some major power players were already wanting to switch away from the dollar as the top currency, one being the EU. So it was Russia, China, and the EU were like, you know, we don't know if we want this anymore. And I thought I had that article, but 
apparently I do not. So, what, what? I mean, that was before all. That had nothing to do with these sanctions. Yeah. That had specifically to do with the fact that, um, they were basically bound by the rules of the U.S. to trade U.S. dollars. Yeah. So, so if a company is trading in U.S. dollars as their standard, and the U.S. decides, you know what, we're not doing business with Iran. Yeah. Guess what? Those countries can't do now. Right. They can't do business with Iran, and a lot of European countries are like, well, we kind of like Iran. We kind of like doing business with them. And the U.S. is like, well, we're trading in dollars, so you can't do that. So that's why, like, the EU was, back in 2019, was like, you know, do we really want to stick with the right. with the U.S. dollar on all this? So it's, um, okay, so Saudi Arabia is number one. Okay. Uh, they get 15% of their oil from them. Russia's number two. Uh, they get uh, 15 point. Uh, I'm sorry, 15.9. What was the first one? Uh, Saudi Arabia, 15.9% of China. Uh, Russia is 15.5%. Iraq is 10.9%. Angola, which I didn't know did oil, Mm -hmm. 7.9%. Brazil, 7.9%. Oman, 7.3%. Do you know what it sounds like China did? Mm -hmm. Diversified its portfolio of oil when their top is only giving them 15%. China is doing single-handedly better than the entire continent yeah. of Europe when it comes yeah. to where their oil is coming from. They get three point six percent from the United States. Okay, so they're like, we're not gonna, we're not gonna put too much stock over there because something yeah, could happen. Exactly. Uh, what if something bad? What if a war happens and they cut off oil to us? We That's don't want to be bound. Fairly by that. smart, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we talked earlier in the show about diversifying yeah. your portfolio. So if something happens in one of those stocks. Yeah. You got some backup to fall well, back on. I, my my thought was that, you know, would they make a deal with Russia being like, hey, why don't you become our number one oil supplier and uh, and give us 30 percent and we'll, you know, we'll. I don't think China, I think China's too smart to, to do that. No, you're Looking right. At they the are. way they, they yeah. separate it up, I don't think they're going no, to you're fall right. back because that Because they don't, they don't trust Russia either. They don't trust anybody. <laughs> no, which and, is smart. And if, I mean, with the pressure the U.S. is putting on in. Russia's economy is on the verge of collapse. Yeah. I, I don't see China like taking that much on that much risk. Right. Yeah. I see them capitalizing on it and being yeah. like, uh, we'll be your number one financer right. or we'll be or your number one banker yeah. or whatever. But I don't see them taking on the risk no. of well, we'll take on Yeah. A, what do I hear? Is that your phone? Oh, that's my phone. What that's the hell? Phone. I'm like, I hear a little kid <laughs> or a, a woman or something. I don't know. Anyway. No, you're right. China's too smart for that. Yeah, they're not going to take on that much percentage of an import from one specific country because they're not... Then they'll be beholden to somebody, and they don't want that. Yeah, yeah. and if Russia goes, then then they're they're on the hook for that. So I was going to try to find that... uh, that article, but I don't think I'm going to be able to find it. So that sucks. Anyway, within the last three years, before all this shit... Countries, like I said, we're trying to yeah. move away from the dollar standard. And what does that do for us here in the United States? How does that affect us? Do you think? Like, what yeah. <laughs> what implication does that have on us? Because right. I mean, we've reaped the benefits of being right. the number one, the big dog, uh, reserve trading, yeah, uh, but, currency. But how much? I mean, with that that egotistical, you know. Uh, the Fed has manipulated the shit out of the dollar to the point where yeah. 
you know, it, that's that's why it's not worth anything. You, well, you know? know, what's interesting is even China questioned in that article, I think it was, China questioned on, because they said, well, the dollar's by far the most stable. Well, yeah. back then was when we started pumping out trillions of dollars in stimulus and stuff, and China actually posed the, the question, it's like, how stable is this going to be if you are just printing out more money, right. printing out more money? It, 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 I we see the dollar collapsing in all of this. So is that really stable enough for right. us to continue taking this risk yeah. as this being the number one currency for the reserves? Right. Should we... Um, and that, that that's like the reserve currency is what it is. So it's like everything kind of borrows and trades through dollars. And it's like, if that's the reserve and the dollar crashes, well, then the reserve is right. gone. Yeah. So... China posed that question. Well, obviously, China has ulterior motives of, hey, we want ours to be the number one. But still, China seems to be the smart one in all of this. And we, I mean, everybody that knows took any basic economics class back before 2019 saw that they were going to print trillions of dollars. And we're like, oh, that, uh, I mean, the dollar is going to tank. Inflation's going to go through the roof. Right. Yeah, and the devaluing of the dollar. They've been talking about that for years. Yeah, so you know, you used to be able to get a candy bar for a quarter, and now it costs two dollars and fifty cents. I know? feel like we could do an entire episode on just the dollar. Oh, I know, absolutely. I know for a fact we could yes. because you could um, take a look from like what the fuck happened in nineteen seventy one. Yeah, because you had like stable inflation, like minimal inflation, then all of a sudden it just shot through the roof. Mm. Well, that's because we took the dollar off the gold standard, and yeah. then it became paper money. Yeah, and they could create whatever they wanted. Yeah. And it's interesting if you think about it. Um, all printing more money does is make m- more inequality between mm-hmm. the richest rich and the poorest poor. Right. Because, I mean, yeah, we get a raise. Yeah. Or whatever. And we're happy because we get a dollar raise or something. But inflation went up like $4 or something. Right. Well, then all that's just that much more money that the people at the top are holding. Mm-hmm. Because they're... <laughs> All the money is worth the same amount. Right, right. So the the total of the money is worth the same amount. So if you print more, it's still part of the total of the money. It's still worth that same amar- amount. It's just each dollar is worth a little less. Right. So if the total of the money, say they're giving everybody $15 an hour or whatever, mm-hmm. and then we print off a bunch more money, and now they're giving everybody $17 an hour, well, they're still... Yeah. They're holding now a higher percentage of the total amount of money, and we're but, holding less percentage. But, but we I, feel happy because our right. price went up yeah. $2. Right. But I don't think the average person thinks like that. They don't. The no. average person is like, oh, my gosh, I got, I'm got, i up to $17 yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So, so they're, they're just, I mean, that's just, that's why the equality gap mm-hmm. is separate. It's not because of racism. It's not, it's because the money that they're printing. Yeah. Their right. money that they're they're forking out in the name of social programs or whatever, yeah. in the name of um, social spending, that's actually what's creating more of an inequality gap yeah. is that printing of that money. And like I said, we could talk a whole episode oh just gosh, on the yeah. dollar. Um, I got this final article here. We'll probably get out of here a little early tonight, which is fine. We've talked about a lot that's of good, things. Yeah. So um, every time I say that, we usually end up I being was late. I say though, we get into something else. This one continuing to talk about the number one currency it says it's titled the future of the world reserve currency what happens if the dollar loses its status and that that's the big question it's like well what does it really affect because we're still going to spend money in do- 
in dollars here. It's it's not like we're going to switch over to Chinese yuan or or gold or, or euro. Or I mean, gold is the option. Right. The, yeah. Well, this I is two thousand dollars an ounce. Yeah. Well, this is from goldalliance.com. So this okay. is actually a sales pitch for gold, yeah, most okay. likely. So um, I mean, if it, everything had switched over to gold right now, where would you be sitting? Uh, yeah. So zero. Yeah, <laughs> I have zero gold. So this says the U.S. dollar has been the world reserve currency for nearly 80 years. However, the purchasing power of the dollar has been falling steadily since we left the gold standard in the 70s. In the last two decades, with the Fed's massive money printing and the government's debt and deficits, it's no wonder the countries around the world are losing faith in the strength of the dollar. Like I said, 2019, they considered. Mm-hmm. So what happened... What would happen if the dollar loses its status as the reserve currency? What are the actual benefits you and I get by our currency being the reserve currency of choice across the globe? The world's reserve currency is a national currency that is widely held globally because it's expected to hold its value, and the market for every item or service uh, denominated in that currency is extremely large and liquid. Before the U.S. dollar, other currencies have been the preferred reserve currency of the world, but they were eventually replaced by another currency. History shows us that no currency can keep their world reserve status forever. So you see all the um, from 1400s till now, the the different reserve world currencies, which was like Portugal in the 1400s and 1500s. Then it was Spain. Then it looks like, uh, is that France? I can't I, see. From I, here. I, I can't see. It's it's like kind of cut off. Was, then there was France. I I can't see what that was. But then there was France, and then there was the the silver, uh, sterling, mm-hmm. sterling pound, and then the U.S. dollar in 1940s. Okay. After World War II. Interesting thing is the U.S. dollar is the first fiat currency to ever hold that position. Huh. Well, it wasn't fiat currency when it became right. that. Yeah. And then it turned into a fiat currency. And so, I mean, that <laughs> lends the question, like, how long can this actually last? Because you see, mm-hmm. every everyone ended at some point. Yeah. The longest running one, it looks like, was Portugal back in the 1400s. And then it was just like a, a little blip for each one. So it's like, how long can we hold on? In this article saying... Well, it's not an indefinite thing. It's not if, right. it's when right. yeah. we switch to another currency. So it says, the question is not whether or not the U.S. dollar will lose its world reserve currency status, but instead how close are we to that moment and how will, uh, ha- and how will affect the, the U.S. dollar? It says how the U.S. dollar benefits from being the world's currency, reserve currency. Keeps international transactions running smoothly. So for us, for the United States, it's cheaper and easier for trading purposes because we're trading in our own right. money. There's not sense. all the the transfer money transfer right the exchange rate exchange and everything exchange rates and stuff. Yes, yeah. So it says to the world commerce, the main benefit of having world reserve currency is to keep international transactions running smoothly. When everyone works with the same currency, trade becomes easier. It's especially important for trading with countries whose currency isn't used outside of their borders or whose currencies are volatile and fluctuate significantly. These countries rely on the dollars to trade since their trade partners are unlikely to accept risky currency as payment. So it's kind of like, um, I don't know, a credit system. If, right. if your currency 
is destined to fail or it had or your government just fails constantly like some of these developing countries yeah it's better to trade in a dollar because another country is going to be like oh that's going to have some value when right. i go back and cash it into my currency uh with some of these other countries if they took like i don't know whatever congo or something like that's currency mm. went back to their country they could go to trade it in and their cut Government could have collapsed and their currency could be nothing. <laughs> and they by, wouldn't even know it. Just by the time they got home. It's like, damn, man, I just went on vacation. <laughs> it, like you said, it keeps transaction costs low. Since yeah. the U.S. is issuing the current currently used reserve currency, our transaction costs are, resi- are reduced. We don't have to exchange our dollar for other currencies of trade. That burden and the exchange cost lies on our trading partners. Number three is boosted liquidity. It says when more companies and individuals are using the dollar, it means more transactions are denominated in dollars. This boosts the dollar's liquidity. Financial assets can be priced more easily and loans are more easily provided because there's more dollars floating around right. out there that you can dip into and borrow from. And where do you think uh, all our debt problems in the United States comes from? It's because we can spend a shit ton of it because it's everywhere and we right. can dip into all of it and borrow from everyone. Right. It says easily exported debt. Another privilege of the dollar being the world reserve currency is the fact that it becomes easier for the United States to export its debt. Being a world reserve currency puts the dollar in higher demand because of the trust in the dollar. This makes dollar-backed securities more attractive. Countries tend to buy these dollar-backed bonds to increase the credibility of their own money supplies. The sales of these bonds fund our needs and lifestyle. So, if the dollar is no longer the reserve currency, if people, if other foreign countries stop buying dollar-backed bonds, we can't have these like foreign debt. Like, how much Chinese debt do we have right now? Trillions, I'm sure, yeah. in Chinese debt yeah. or foreign debt. Right. That goes away if. The dollar is not the number one currency anymore. Right. We no longer have that option. So maybe it would be a good thing. <laughs> maybe yeah. it'd be a good thing to um, just get off of this. So maybe the government is forced. Yeah. And it's just like we've created this monster that is seen as it's not impossible to take down, but it can't be taken down because it would disrupt everything. No, right. Yeah. So with with the debt that we have, with the system that we have, with this globalist system we have, mm-hmm. if one element of it were to like crash a little bit, or say the dollar were to crash, I mean, the whole shit, the whole system goes right, flips on its head. Yeah, and that's why um, when big banks start to crash, we start artificially. Pumping money into stuff, printing money, and yeah. and we have that ability to do that because we're the world reserve currency. I mean, maybe that is the final draw of the Great Reset. I I was thinking the same thing. I if something like that were to happen, the whole shit flips yeah. on its head. What is what is the World Economic Forum want yeah. to flip the shit on its head? Who does the world like? Who? What country's system does the WF like the most? China. China. I mean, since 2008, I mean, they propped up China in 2008 during the Great Recession. They're like, oh, look at China over here. They're doing great. And they've been propping them up ever since. So if I I would speculate that the WF or people like that would be perfectly fine if the dollar standard was no longer. I mean, who 
who is the biggest disruption of like like which country disrupts the Great Reset agenda the most? It's probably the United, it's the United States, States. <laughs> because because yeah. we got all our our meat and truck driving gun, gun shooting. Yeah, yeah, right. So so <laughs> I I'm sure that those globalist powers would love to get to knock the U.S. off their oh, high yeah. horse yeah. and prop up something like China. Says experts are torn on the issue while. Because it says, how likely is it the dollar will lose its status as the reserve currency? While some believe that the dollar is strong, others have watched the fall of purchasing power of the dollar and are ske- skeptical towards a greenback. According to the Federal Reserve, the dollar <clears throat> is used in 40% of global trade transactions. When it comes to global cross-border transactions, the dollar dominates, being used around 80% of the time. That Like cross-border, like I was yeah. saying, because people don't want to rely on somebody else's cash Mm. to be good when they come back. Says, this may soon be changing as the confidence in the dollar globally is starting to fade. The purchasing power of the dollar has been failing at an alarming rate. Take a look at this chart, which shows what happens to the U.S. dollar over the last 100 years. (laughs) There's that pretty look. Yeah. I mean, it's going down, 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 and then it's just at the bottom. That's, That's horrible. Yeah. Um, it says, as purchasing power of the dollar falls, more and more countries may find it's in their best interest to use more stable currencies for their transactions, dethroning the dollar as their world reserve currency. So so we see the benefits that we hang on to as being the number one currency with trade, with debt, mm-hmm. with all this lavish spending. Um, one of the things that it said this does... So it says right here, um, your standard of living could change if the dollar gets replaced. Because it says, through the reserve currency privilege, we in effect let the world share our debt and finance our needs. This cannot last forever. The continuous weakening of the dollar could lead to a significant decrease in demand for the dollar and dollar-backed securities. That means the U.S. won't be able to sell off its debt to foreign countries. Hmm. So, So we talk about... The U.S. defaulting on its debt and how detrimental that'll be, right. and how we got to keep raising the debt ceiling. Imagine if they can no longer sell off its right. debt at all. Yeah, they're stuck with it. They're fucked. Yeah, they are. <laughs> they're majorly we, screwed. We are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In turn, we will be because, yes. um, like all of this, the people that are affected the most are the peons yeah. of us down at the bottom. Right. And that's why I was saying, it wouldn't take much for the U.S. to turn into one of these rioting countries. Oh no, no, that at are all. really feeling the effects of food yeah. prices. Because right now, if food or gas goes up, we just bitch a little about it. Or a lot. <laughs> but imagine if we get to that point where um, the dollar has tanked. Yeah, right. The dollar is virtually useless. I mean, look at Venezuela. The, right. The dollar became nothing over mm-hmm. overnight almost. Imagine yeah. if that happens here. First of all, the dollar is tanking. Imagine... How much the dollar tanks if the rest of the world is like, nope, we don't want that yeah, anymore. Right. We're going over We're here. We're done. Whether that be the world sees it as, hey, this is not stable, or countries like Russia are forced to get off that standard. Countries like North Korea, Venezuela, Cuba, all mm. these countries that we put all these economic sanctions on decide, all these countries decide, you know, that that looks like a better option. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that that article said these sanctions what they do is devalue the dollar. Yeah. <laughs> or put pressure on the dollar or or cause countries decide to move away right. from the dollar. Inflation, what is that? It's devaluing the dollar. Right. 
with this food crisis that we talked about in the first half, all that's going to do is lead to inflation, which is devaluing, devaluing the, the dollar. dollar. So, I mean, yeah. the two halves of the show were two separate topics, but it kind of is intertwined. Yeah. And how does this apply to Ukraine and Russia? Well, because... Just no. because. <laughs> because everything... Uh, Everything's be, tied together. Be, yeah, we've made it that way with yeah. this globalist agenda this global like we've made everything so like like is the most like unstable jenga tower right that one slight touch of of a side peg or something is going to topple the yeah. whole thing it's not like nothing in the the world we've created with the global economy what it is you can't be Jen Psaki and say we're just doing this to affect to Right. To the detriment of the Russian economy. No. No. It no, affects it the affects whole world. It affects everyone. Even yeah. if even though it's just two percent of the GDP of the world, it affects mm-hmm. everything. And then it's just a chain reaction that affects like Middle Eastern countries, yeah. which then um throws off balance in the Middle East and trade routes through the Middle East could be affecting yeah. China or it could be affecting Africa. Africa. Can and then where are we gonna get all our cheap labor from right. and our, our right. blood diamonds and shit yeah, of exactly. Africa goes? So. Our lithium batteries. Yeah, yeah. Right. Our sugar. <laughs> I mean all that comes from there. Those That's areas. true. So what do you think of all this? Do you think <laughs> do you think well our government is naive? Yeah no, I don't think they're naive, but I think they're so narcissistic uh, narcissistic that they they don't think about that stuff. They don't think like, oh, well, this is going to affect us negatively. Yeah. Right? Because no one's possibly going to want to get rid of the U.S. dollar. Right. You know, yeah. because we, we're the United States, motherfucker. Right? Right. Yeah. And so they don't look at it like that. But they, you know, somebody's going to figure it out someday. And someone's going to be like, well, shit, let's flip it over. And maybe that's Klaus Schwab. Maybe and, and maybe what that that's what he's angling for. Or maybe it's the next the next big one that we've discovered next week. I don't know. <laughs> right. But, but yeah, a lot of this, I mean, from our perspective of what the globalists want to do and flip it on its head yeah. and then take control of all the resources, both of these tie together. I yeah. mean, you cause some chaos in the Middle East and Africa, and then you go in and sweep up the pieces, take yeah. over the resources, then realize, well, the the problem is countries with borders. Because if countries didn't have right. borders like Russia and Ukraine, then we wouldn't have this problem. We wouldn't have this trade. Maybe if we just made global trade not controlled at the country-to-country level, but um, we opened up, we expanded beyond borders. Right. Or what if we had an international trade commission that got to decide all this stuff? Or an international food source where everybody paid like 50% of their food. Each country paid like 40% of their food reserves into this food. Yeah, and we Uh, made sure it got to where it needed to. Obviously. I I could see Klaus Schwab sitting back there and be like, Mr. Biden... More sanctions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do too. And and, and Joe's but, not thinking about oh, this is gonna this is gonna affect us negatively. He's just like, yeah, motherfucker. Yeah, I'm a strong guy. I'm gonna put more sanctions on. Yeah, you. because minimal effects on the U.S. As yeah. Jen Psaki said, minimal effects on the oil. Minimal right. effects yeah, exactly. on. It, it, we have the America's best interest, or yeah. just just the fact that people are like, uh, this. Kind of affects the dollar. That I mean, that's not that's beyond minimal, right? In my opinion, or yeah. I, and they're like, and, well, we'll just print more. And <laughs> again, they don't they don't see the fact that yes, we only get ten percent of our oil, or maybe five percent of our food, or whatever from yeah. Russia. 
but they don't take into effect mm. that well those other suppliers have to start pumping out yeah. oil to well, for instance right so china gets most of its oil 15.9% of its oil from saudi arabia sure okay they get 15.5% of their oil from russia okay, okay. now russia's supply line is, is screwed up with china okay. they can't get their oil who else gets their oil from saudi arabia uh the united states <laughs> right <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. So, so now uh, Saudi Arabia has to make up for the 15% that Russia can't make yeah. up for. So now it's pumping, and I'm sure that 15% in China is a ton. Yeah. So now they're having to pump out a ton to subsidize China. And where are they pulling that from? All yeah. the other countries. Right. And in the very least... Gas prices, oil prices skyrocket. I mean, they're talking, yeah. they're predicting $150 a barrel. I remember back in what the Obama days, they're like, holy shit, uh, oil's going to get to $100 yeah. a barrel. Now they're talking yeah. $150, $200 a yeah. barrel. Uh, Vladimir Putin said, look, uh, uh, if you impose this trade embargo, you're, you're looking at $300 a barrel. Yeah. Three hundred. That's three times yeah. what we were freaking out about in 2008. Yeah. Three times. It, it Minimal effects on us, though. Right, right. You're yeah, t- you're only... talking probably like twelve dollars a gallon yeah. at that point. Yeah, or more. I don't and, know. And, and I'm sorry. I, I mean, <laughs> that's when you you're you're talking like blood in the streets, mm-hmm. right? That that's where when Biden is overthrown at that point. So, so you think all that uh, the Arab Spring shit comes here when it comes to twelve dollars? Oh, or way what, before twelve dollars. What, what do you think our tipping point is for like Arab Spring blood in the streets here? I I would say you start seeing five dollars a gallon, you're going to start seeing people get really irate. Shit, like I said, California's already seeing. Yeah, $6. but that's California though. That's true. They they brought that on themselves. <laughs> yeah, they, they exactly. But you know, that's what you get for living in California. Exactly, but assholes. Midwest five dollars a gallon. I yeah. mean, yeah, you're going to see some major shit. I I agree. I tend to agree with that. So. Global implications here, you think? You yeah, think we a little bit. Stumbled on a couple, just a couple, <laughs> just a couple, a couple. I mean, we haven't even really hit. Yeah, for all those much. people that you know, again, Saki thinking, oh well, minimal implications, and people will be like, well, why would their oil affect us? Mm-hmm. Well, there you go, right? Well, like we said, I think it was yesterday. Within thirty minutes of them announcing that Russia <laughs> yeah, was attacking. Right. Uh, gas prices here went up like 30, 40 cents yeah. in like minutes, yeah. minutes, over overnight. Yeah. It was up like 80 cents or something. It, yeah. I don't well, know about and, that much, but I mean, it went up it, dramatically. And, and you're getting to, you know, two months here. We're going to be in the summer travel session season. People want to travel. They want to mm-hmm. go on vacation, right? If, well, and this was supposed to be like the, the bringing back like the of the economy because right. we're laxing on covid restrictions so right. people can get out and travel more and do well you're not going to see that and the economy is right. going to take a bigger hit because yeah. people aren't traveling right it's going to be like 2020 all over again yep. 2019 2020 yeah. all over again because people aren't traveling they're not getting to those places yeah. the economy is going to take a bigger hit there this is just a chain reaction that mm-hmm. they're just seeing so short-sighted of hey this is going to just tank russia's economy yeah. It's going to tank our economy. Right. All those yeah. those mega e- improvements in the economy, the 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 record-breaking economic uh, yeah. increase that he touted on his right. um 
um, State of the Union address, you can say you can kiss that goodbye. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if people just, you know, didn't you know raise or lower wages and just you know lower their prices, we'd be okay. Sure. Yeah, because uh, uh, co- greedy corporations are the cause of inflation. Yeah, here. Exactly. It's not the the overprinting of money. It's not the um, yeah. imposing sanctions right. on other countries. We should yeah. have no business in even. Yeah. Anything to do with so. Yeah. Right. I don't know. What's the solution? <laughs> <Is there? laughs> we keep getting to the end of the shows with no solutions. I, I know. I know. And I, I feel really bad about that. I do too. I feel like we should have a happy ending. But we should. We should. I mean, it's may, we maybe we need to, next week. We should do like a, a musical episode. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> Just to make you feel better. Like we're, actually, make we you are feel singing. Worse. Like us doing a musical. Yeah, like we'll like break out into song and dance to you know. Each. We might lose all of our <laughs> subscribers if we did that. I think so. we would too. So, I I mean, yeah. It, prepare for the worst is all I got to say. I yeah. mean, we talked a year ago. Start stocking up on yeah. stuff. Start growing your own food. Start being more self reliant yeah. because it's like every week we see uh, how we need that even more. We need right. to be more self dependent, and it's it's scary. And I'm guilty of this, and we've talked about this before, that we get on this kick of, hey, we need to do our own things, become stock up, become more self-reliant. And then they ease up on restrictions. They ease up on yeah. the economy starts to bounce back. Gas and prices we, go down. We and, get back yeah. into that lazy mode where it's yeah. just like, oh, things are getting better. Just go back to our cozy life. Then something like this kicks off, and it's like, yeah. man, this could really affect our food supply, our yeah. oil supply, gas prices. Everything is going to go up. Maybe... During that easy time, maybe right. that's when we should have been right, exactly. planning ahead and yeah. stocking up. But well, I, I know if things get bad, you'll have the more, uh, corner, the market cornered in um, in jalapeno peppers. I have <laughs> ha- habanero peppers. Habanero I peppers. have a freezer full of yes. habanero, frozen yes. habaneros, and I even have pickled habanero peppers. Yes. The prices my... of those are going to go way up, so you're going <laughs> to yes. be set. You're going to be the this year. Man I town. think I'm going to <laughs> invest in more like. I don't know, self-sustaining foods, not just yeah. spicy peppers, because I had th- those will only hold you over so long. I th- yes. That's like that's like drinking the water in Mexico. You're actually right. de- dehydrating or <laughs> drinking like sea salt. You're going to dehydrate yeah. yourself more than you are hydrating. That I think is going to go straight through you, yeah. and <laughs> you're going to lose more <laughs> calories than you ate. So, so I think this year I'm going to go less on the spicy peppers and more sure. on the the food. That'll sustain my family. That makes sense. So, become more self reliant because, I mean, you see things all the shit. Probably going to get tough. Then. Things are like like um, Saki kind of alluded to, which she said, yeah. but she did. She missed. She didn't follow through. She missed. Yeah. the head of the nail yeah. completely. <laughs> she said, "This is going to get long and ugly." What, what was it exactly? But that we won't really said? be affected by it. So, yeah, <laughs> long and difficult road ahead. Yes. For all of us, yes. I'd have to say. So, I would agree. So prepare. We're going to get out of here for this week. This has been an interesting one. Hopefully next week we have something other than Russia-Ukraine to talk about. But yeah. again, it's nice to take different angles and different it approaches is. on the topic yeah. everybody's talking about. So um, hopefully you all enjoyed that. Uh, the comment section is always open on the YouTube channel. Um, on Twitter, you can hit us up. You, we have a forum on Facebook called the Breaking the Bell Forum, which you can participate in conversation and stuff so if you have more opinions more thoughts and stuff hit us up on any of those resources share the stuff all over the place because people need to hear it people need to know 
the direction the world could potentially and most yeah. likely is 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 heading even though because your government's not telling you that your government's right. not going to tell you hey uh these actions we are uh taking right now are going to directly affect you yes. in the because near future all you're going to hear is so but if you pass my build back better bill everything's going to be okay yes spend more money yeah. because we've talked about how that's a good idea yeah. so uh, we got to get out of here for this week. This has been fun. Make sure you get back here next week, same time, same channel, uh, 7 p.m. Central Time, every Monday night. We'll have something else to talk about. Something good and fun. We, ne- we can't plan weeks in ahead. We, we can't. It, we got to follow the It's current events. Yeah, we got to follow the yeah. trend. So, um, Otherwise, be back this weekend for the weekend wrap-up, which is where we wrap up the week yes. on the weekend. More fun stuff. Yeah. So it's whatever else that happened yes. during the Again, week that we, we don't get it. to we don't get to talk about in the main episode. So um, we we'll get out of here. Have a good rest of your week. Goodbye. The Break the Bell Podcast is brought to you by you. So pat yourself on the back because without you we would be talking to ourselves. A special thanks to our Patreon members, Justin Zelinski. Remzo Martinez, Stephanie Parker, and T.O. Jacobson. A shout-out to our sponsors, Run Your Mouth Coffee, the On The Run Podcast, and Goulash Media. If you'd like to help support us, visit patreon.com slash breakthebell or buy our garbage at breakthebell.bigcartel.com. Get back here next week and let us continue to invade your ear holes. And as always, never stop talking.